Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, a slight tangent, the crappy quiz, and you had to be there. Five goals in 20 minutes. It's just, you can't do that. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Okay, it's a big, big day for the Republic of Ireland. We could be going to a World Cup. We beat Scotland tonight and some of the results go our way. But the worst thing that could happen if we win tonight is that we'll be uh, having a playoff where we would expect to get through. Uh, so this game at Hendon Park tonight is big. Uh, Shane's in studio, Colin's in studio. Good morning to you both. Morning, morning lads. How are things? Colin's actually here to talk about Roy Keane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like, oh, I've, I've shoehorned my way onto the show this morning to talk about Roy Keane. It's like Cork, your, the Cork slot of the morning, yeah. It's your specialist subject. Yeah, we haven't had a Cork slot in a while. Do, and, you, uh, do you think you'd win Mastermind if the subject was Roy Keane? No, no of course not. No, I mean, like, Roy no. Keane wouldn't win that. Like, he's a conundrum himself. Like, he wouldn't have the same answer twice. So how would I possibly win it on, on Roy well, Keane's behalf? It's purely factual, you know. He had all the answers last night. To, to many <laughs> well, questions. he did have the answer that we're still trying to find, some yeah, of which. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this this stems from Roy on Monday Night Football with Jamie Carragher last night, Sky Sports, and afterwards, which is often better than the match itself. They were well, going through their top say, three, the, everything. The game was so crap that they ended yeah. up having uh, look, break glass in case of emergency. <laughs> uh, a series of lists, Your perhaps? Favorite, uh, uh, favorite ice cream. Uh, Mount Rushmore, anyone? <laughs> hey, don't knock ideas in production meetings, no. you know. Anything can, anything can work if you treat it right with a bit of passion. And these guys came in with their three choices ready to go. Feels like some shots being fired there. No, I mean, look, you can... um, (laughs) Did you you take a stray bullet there? No, maybe, maybe. Well, I'm sure that the producer said, lads, why don't we do top three of your uh, favourite songs, films, etc. tonight? And then maybe they were like, oh, I don't know about that. And then the producer was like, no, it will really work. It will really work for the audience. And it did. And it did, because look what's happening now. We're talking about it. We're taking someone else's idea and driving on with it. The best ideas. Jared, please. Okay, Start yeah. What's your favourite choices? No, that's uh, that's great. I mean, I don't know. Like, was it not a bit bland? Was Carragher not like, yeah, I like the ones who were good at the football. They were good at the football. It's not the football we're interested yeah, the, in. Yeah, the football answers we're, were, were pretty boring. Yeah, we're not interested in that. The Bruyne Haaland and then Maradona all the time. The best pundits. Which which of your colleagues are the best pundits as yeah. opposed to like the best pundits in world football or any, even anything historic? I like, and they they had made a deal that they would. Like, I, I thought they like were joking other. about them making a deal, but they weren't. They were like, oh, you're great. Oh, you're great. Yeah. Not, not, not the Roy Keane content that I want to see. The, the, the football answers were a bit, bit vanilla. The, it was the other answers that were the, the exotic ice cream well, yeah. flavors. That's what we want. I have my Wibbly wobbly wonders. I don't even have I have one, I have one of his answers about the football one there because I thought it was interesting that he picked Wayne Rooney in one of his three favorite Premier League players. Yeah, De Bruyne, Haaland and Ronaldo as his current Premier League players. But Rooney, I thought there was always a bit of tension there. But yeah. forget all that. It's really his favourite musician. Well, that's because Rooney changed the channel that time. Yeah, when he was watching Rugby League. Big fan of Rugby League. And uh, <laughs> Wayne wanted to watch X Factor. So Roy wasn't having it. And Big fan of moment, NFL, as it turns out as well. <laughs> we all know. Yeah, too much of a fan. So much of a fan, don't interrupt him while he's watching it. Please, yeah, please don't come near Roy. If you like. I had that experience as a kid as well, um, where, I, where I, I was at Manchester at Man United game. I, was, I think I was seven or eight years of age, and my dad said... That's Roy Keane's car over there. I saw him get out of it earlier. He's in the mega store right now with his with his family. We'll give him the bit of space, but if you, if you hang around here maybe for a little bit, you have your Irish scarf there as well. Your your United jersey on. He's gonna stop and give you an autograph. Roy comes walking out with his with his wife and a couple, uh, one or two of his kids, a couple of bags of merch from the, the mega store, um, and there was me and two other kids similar age, and uh, he absolutely blanked us as if we did not exist. And I was saying, 
pretty please, Mr. Keane, can I have an autograph? Um, and it just didn't it just didn't work. I know Rory McIlroy had a similar experience with Rory Keane when he was when he was younger. He says that's put him off Keane a bit. It had it didn't put me off, right? He made up for it a few years later uh, after an Ireland game. Um, Gary Neville had a similar bad experience with. So sometimes don't meet your heroes, but um, yeah. Well, I kind of thought for everybody, Shane. No, no, no. I had no problems that I met him. But I wasn't interrupting him. I wasn't interrupting him from watching a match or doing anything as such. No, no, you would have assumed that, like, at that stage, maybe he'd just been getting grief in the megastore. Fair enough. And he was um, taking it on you. In fairness, like, it sounds like you were relatively um, nice about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. But he is entitled to his privacy. I, I understand that. And his head must be absolutely wrecked. Uh, for selfies and autographs, he just hates it. No, you don't. You don't have to. You know, don't be making excuses. Yeah, you're, sorry, you're the victim yeah. here. Don't be blaming yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had one too many Shane Hannans coming up to him that day, and you were just the one that <laughs> when the broke it. Like, yeah, yeah. I had no, I had no problems with him. I had a great chat with him. Did you? Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and you were you're an adult as well, so you, you must just like adults and hate kids. Um, yeah, no, it's unfair on Roy. I'm sure. Look, he's 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 dealt with a lot of that over the years. I enjoyed his movie choices. Yeah, and his music choices. I uh, I really enjoyed the. Uh, I really enjoyed the musician choices because I didn't know that this had actually happened until I came in this morning that they had actually done this slash mm. and I watched it and I was like you know about 6 o'clock this morning in the office usually be quiet enough and I just burst out laughing at his first answer which was uh, Bob Dylan which is fair enough I think it's well established that he loves Bob Dylan fair. but just the way <laughs> the way he talked about him was as if Bob Dylan's a promising left back it was like <laughs> I love Bob Dylan I'm going to tomorrow night should be good should yeah. be good Bob's good yeah. should be good that was a good performance from Bob <laughs> he, can't, he can't separate himself from that objective uh, football analysis then he had a U2 which is fair enough and he gave that in the overlap too when he did the Q&A with Gary Neville but I was very surprised by his third and final choice did you get that? Chili peppers red hot chili peppers that, yeah, that was I cannot bit. see Roy Keane and Anthony Kiedis sitting down and having a chat that Roy would enjoy maybe Anthony would enjoy it yeah yeah he but did I'm say though, by when he's in his car, he turns on the eighties channel. He loves a little bit of Depeche Mode and yeah. anything really eighties, which you can get on board with. Jimmy Carragher, I think, backed him up to that uh, to that degree. Was it a Deacon Blue concert that he went to? Uh, that he was annoyed at the woman singing all the songs beside him. Wasn't that it? It was like oh, I went to a concert, got ruined by this woman. She was singing all the songs. If I wanted to hear her sing, I got karaoke. Yeah, yeah. That was. Um, I wouldn't like to sit right beside Roy at a concert. Well, be afraid to enjoy. Have to afraid to enjoy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he told, uh, he told Mick Richards about Deacon Blue in their carpool All right, thing okay. that they did last week. I'm surprised Christmas, he's yeah. a fan of singers. He's like, it's not just their job. That is essentially just their job. To no, be he, has, he has feelings. Like, we actually, we talked about this when we were going through uh, the Saipan anniversary, And we were looking at those ads that Roy Keane shot around that time. And you, Ger, were saying kind of staunchly that Roy Keane is an actor. Oh, totally. He actually he's enjoys theatre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he does. just has to be surrounded with the right people to do it. But I would never have thought that Roy would endorse anything to do with the arts yeah 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 because it was too uh, unpractical well he was clearly Daniel Day-Lewis's performance in There Will Be Blood stuck with him particularly he picked that out as a he said he's never met Day-Lewis but that he you know really really liked that film yeah. and then the whole the GEA answer in every match programme Shawshank Redemption something <laughs> yeah. along those lines I don't know so he, he picked he had his good picks he had them ready as well obviously they were prep in advance but I quite enjoyed Keane's Movie, movie choices. You named two there. It's top three. What was the third? One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Right. Which, which Carragher also Carragher just put, was gave to him, which I don't actually think wasn't Keane's top three. And he was like, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. But yeah. Carragher had the commitments in his top three. Anyway, the po- reason being that we're even bringing this up at all, besides all of that, is that when he was named, uh, asked to name his sporting icons, he said Cork's Jimmy Barry Murphy, which is a fantastic thing to say on Sky Sports. And Monaghan's Barry McGuigan. <laughs> and can someone tell us who was third person was yeah, we missed please, the third. can someone tell us in the comments because I cannot find the third person he said that was a sporting hero of his would he pick Tom Brady or someone 
surely someone from American maybe sport. a rugby league player because he's obsessed maybe with rugby league, league our own Cameron suggested it was Paul O'Donovan it, it could have been Sonny O'Sullivan yeah someone did, did he not know factually that it was Paul O'Donovan that's what I was assuming uh, that he, was that a suggestion? I think he was joking, was he, Cameron? When he Cameron was doing a morning joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who knows? Just to wake us all up. <laughs> yeah. uh, YouTube.com forward slash off the ball, or you can get us, of course, on uh, OT, at OTBA, at off the ball AM, on, Jesus, on, uh, on Twitter. <laughs> Life is complicated this morning. <laughs> it um, is. You're a Villa fan, so it's obviously going to be a tough morning for you. Uh, well, not really. It's just boring, you know? Yeah. Just, yeah. Should you, does it exist? There you go. Put the sound down on the YouTube. <laughs> Everyone else watching at home, though, you can, you can put the sound up so you can hear what we're saying instead of just watching us mime. Um, yeah. In studio, we'll keep it down. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Look, he's coming more and more out of a shell. And You're right. It's, yeah, it's a part of him that you never thought you'd see, really. I never thought, never, ever thought he would give any of this a goal. Like, yeah. they, they, they open up in any way besides football because he's so serious when he talks about football. And he's spoken about that before where people expect him to lighten up a bit. He's like, why would I lighten up? I'm talking about football. And you can see that because just before that slash started last night, he doesn't crack any emotion at all. Like He's no. so objective about it. But you get him out of a shell a bit, it's the reason he's... Not a reason why he's so enjoying to people. Like he started talking about dealing with self-doubt as a footballer as well, which is really, really good. On the back of last week. Of yeah. Level, yeah. Very interesting. And then, obviously, talking um, about how he wants to get back into management and he has that pit in the stomach feeling where he... Where he you know, on a Saturday afternoon walking to a match to do punditry he wants to feel that one more time I guess yeah but get over it yeah well get either, over it. either get it's in over. or get out no it's over it's over you think it's, it's over it's over it's, it's pointless at this stage well he ditched the West Brom links last night very yeah called it absolute rubbish night. Yeah, I'm not surprised West Brom have no money they're not spending any money that's one of the reasons why they ended up going back to Steve Bruce and like he definitely wants somewhere where there's going to be an opportunity to invest but like uh, how well connected is he at the, this stage now with recruitment when it comes to players in the lower leagues and players all around the world, like what what work has he been doing? I don't, maybe he has been, but he hasn't told everybody about it. And you think it would come across in some of the punditry? Yeah, I saw this player, I watched him, I've done a bit of research on him. That that's not there. So like, what what is it that he's going to bring apart well, from celebrity to for a Championship or League One club? Would it not make sense from a marketing perspective if someone you know wants to bring in a bit more interest to the club? That's absolutely going to work yeah but like does that automatically get you 6, 9, 15 points or, no. or do you end up mid-table and the fans like it's uh, a risk it's a risk let's look at the marketing from last night the the high profile manager is the one who his fans are not happy with and the low profile manager who took the team up and has like now got an established track record has the fans chanting his name before the game and has like this umbilical link between them but that's not there at Villa because everybody I don't know from the moment he arrived if he was going to do a good job he was using this as a stepping stone and now it's like well there ain't no stepping stone Yeah, I think he could do a job as a troubleshooting manager in a Sam Allardyce mould going forward I mean his niece should be You're talking about Roy Keane as opposed to Stephen Gerrard yeah. Roy yeah the, the, I would say where's the, his, like, where's his, so one season of avoiding relegation First you know, hundred. Well, I mean, he brought them up. In, I mean, in, in the noughties. Yeah, in the noughties. Yeah, I mean, but he's the only way his track record. Yeah, he's gone. He's gone such a long time. But I'm, that's what I'm saying. I think you could, you could parachute him in the troubleshooter problem. I suppose his needs would be to fix a complacent squad, a one that's resting its laurels. Mm. That, that's how you imagine where Roy can be very comfortable going in and saying what you should be doing. Maybe a talented bunch who aren't running enough would but be Roy Keane's with, niche. With respect, with respect, will the players respond to? his style because we haven't seen that like what we saw when he was involved with Ireland was that the players were taking the piss and sending around Whatsapps yeah so like how is that going to work do you know I think I actually think some of the stuff that Carragher said about him 
uh, you know, as as um, trite and bland as it was, is is true. There's an entertainment value with him as mm. a pundit, and that's like a really good thing to do. And also, it's incredibly lucrative, and there's no pressure. There's literally no pressure compared to yeah. But I, I think he feels guilty about living living a life like that. He doesn't think it's working. Well, it's, it's he thinks him. he's just rocking up and just giving. He, and I, I don't. He's be, proud of it. He, he doesn't. He doesn't call himself a pundit. Well, he could do a bit more work and a bit more research then, and like you know. Yeah, but people don't want to, that. A way to people, scratch that. People want to want that. I mean, people used to call that for Alan Shearer to do more research, and he became a brilliant pundit. Well, I, a much improved pundit certainly, depending on your opinion of him. But I, th- I don't think Roy, people want that. Roy Keane. But he can do. I mean, I don't think people do like. You're not going to tell me that him working is going to somehow suppress his anger. Like it's it's they're they're not. It's not one or the other. Yeah, but I mean, but you're but you're talking about him as if like players these days can't deal with uh, home truths or in any kind of lack of subtlety and hammer home a point. Like I would say, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp to talk about the two best would very much have that in them where they would bollock players out of it. But hang on a second. Hang on a second. All of, every single thing, from the very first time we ever saw any of the leaked Guardiola videos, it was always about specifics. Mm. It was about positioning. It was about what you're, what you, what the technical thing that you weren't doing that you had to do, your, your, where you were standing, how you were receiving the ball, the shape of your hips. Yeah. That's not what we're going to get from, from Roy. And that's not, that's certainly that's not the evidence of any of the stuff that has come out from, from Keane is that it's it's, maybe it's like just, his punditry is like oh it's a you know it's about yeah, being it, on it it's about desire it's about hunger if you had a good coaching team behind him if he if he's the leading figure in the yeah, dressing room possibly the, the maybe, inspiring but man but then, but then the players team is mates the players then yeah. will turn to the coaches instead of Roy because they listen to him more like one of the most underwhelming segments I found a lot of Roy picks the team they'll listen to his team but they'll go to the coaches for the tactics mm. which and then undermines his authority but one of the most underwhelming uh, segments I saw was when he picked his Manchester United Premier League 11 and Dave Jones was pushing him to justify each selection but he was given the same reason for every player yeah. great character great to play alongside but you're never getting the nuance of what made David Beckham so good like Beckham had you know, no left foot no pace couldn't head the ball ah, couldn't tackle but why was he one of the best players in the world he's can you tell edge. us that any, any manager well, he was one of the best players in the world <laughs> yeah. huh? he wasn't one of the best players like in the world uh, runner up Ballon d'Or yeah, one year uh, yeah hype absolute pure that's, and utter oh, I mean, hype that's a totally different like comment no, David not, Beckham no, that, was one of the one of the greatest uh, players at his time uh, uh, he was he was world class no you, you bought into the hype that no, he was a, no, 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 no. that he was a celebrity. World no. class means he's he's in the uh, he's in the uh, world team. He's in the world Zidane. Oh, he was. He was. Nedved, yeah. all ahead of him. Oh, he was. Tre- treble winning season. He was in team, world team of the year. One hundred percent. I, I, I don't. They won the treble. I don't agree. Uh, well, it, he was brilliant. Like I think he was, he was, he was unbelievable. Completely useless in the final. Completely. He was one of. Have you seen the final back recently? He was probably the only decent United player that day. Completely all, overrun in the middle of the field by by forty five year olds. He was playing centre mid. Yeah, he, he was, played right mid. He, he had to fill in for Keane and Scholes. Anyway, oh, no, okay, no. so you, yeah, it, sorry, are you talk about Roy Keane here. Being not this is totally the power of nostalgia. Beckham. Oh, Dave Beckham, you were talking oh, about. Yeah, he's top of Dave ah, He was still he was working. Yeah, no, automatically in the world team of the year ahead of Roy Keane. Sorry, and I was Paul totally Scholes totally and Zidane off and Figo and Nedved and whoever else was in the like. It's not automatically he earned. He earned it, like. All right, okay. You, you, I, oh. I get it. You, you as a right winger, as a right winger, child, it's fine. <laughs> it's, not, it's really nice. He scored eighty-three goals for United from right mid. Uh, all right. Uh, Mark Hogan says Gerard has to get the sack playing shocking football tactics, etc., etc. Players can't be happy playing that type of football. We're going to talk with Ty Bracy a little bit later. On. I might as well do the coming up now. Uh, so Kathleen's going to join us in about two minutes to restore some order. Uh, the Republic of Ireland playing Scotland tonight. It's the biggest game. That we're going to play for the rest of the year, and uh, if we lose, it's a bit of a disaster. But if we win, if we win, 
Jess McFadden's going to join us at 10 past 8. Red Bull are going to keep last season's championship, it looks like, even though they were spending too much money. Sports pages. Tuesday Takeaway with John Duggan. A uh, bit of a spice bag. Ty Bracey at 8.50. Tom English is going to talk Celtic. And uh, we'll also refer back to the fact that um, you know, Scotland are also playing tonight against Ireland. And then some Monday Night Rugby goodness coming your way as well. It was a Neil Diamond gig the woman was singing loud at, says John Claffey. Fair point. Uh, yeah. No, I went to Neil Diamond. It was one of the, my favourite gigs. He's one of my favourite artists. He's my go-to karaoke. I went there with my mum. Uh, and he, he obviously can't perform anymore for health reasons. So got him just before he finished. Neil Diamond. Forever in blue jeans. Ah, he's a legend. You do see Caroline? Please don't say anything bad about Neil Diamond on the show because that's, uh, I will, I'll walk straight out that door. I mean, you, you should just defend his honour. Do no, don't be walking away from it. Solitary man. I am, I said. Sweet Caroline. Maybe not sweet Caroline, but there's some great tunes there in his repertoire. What? Neil's a, we're, as long as nobody disagrees, we're all, we're all good here. We can move on. I'm not, I'm not at all surprised. No? I'm... I'm I'm mildly more surprised that you you wouldn't have been saying the same thing about Garth Brooks, to be honest, just because it's so pervasive oh. in the air that you breathe on a daily basis. I mean, Neil Diamond is... Neil Diamond's different. Yeah. The jazz singer, I mean, come on. What a man. He's better than Garth Brooks. Don't put him in the same, in the same vicinity even as Garth Brooks. Uh, morning, lads. Looking forward to tonight's Ireland game after that crap last night. Carragher is gutless when it comes to his mate. Gerard should be sacked, says Chris Cal. Like, I don't think they're going to sack him at the moment. He's on a four-game unbeaten streak. One win and three draws. Um, the Dutch manager is doing a fantastic job, in, in my opinion. I presume you're talking about Vera Power because somebody else was saying, now that Ireland are in the hunt for qualification, it's time to contemplate a more recognised and respected manager. I think that's from Zibo Gmac, who's obviously talking about the men's team, but um, Mark is talking about the women's team. Uh, right. Um, Roy is too concerned about winning an argument. He is not management material, says Mark C. Roy would be out of his element in Cork City, never mind an English side. Unless someone wants him to be a figurehead for a moneyball team, can't see him landing anywhere and having success. And Davin O'Brien on your side. Beckham was extremely underrated. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. What a great right. listener. The, the England, what a, a well informed viewer. The England we have. captain was somehow underrated. It's, right? it's, well, he's been underrated by you. Yeah, underrated how, by you. We're not appreciated by you at all. How did that England team do? How, oh, how yeah. great oh, it's one hundred percent the captain's fault. I think. Yeah, I totally. think oh, well, what, what leadership do you show? Totally, it doesn't matter. The leadership is not the reason I'm labelling him as world class. He was absolutely brilliant, stepping up technically on the right foot. Greece to take yeah. Cup. Yeah, and uh, one of the interesting things about that game is that his his performance was so uh, tactically ill-disciplined mm. that an inferior team was still capable of knocking them out. Up until that moment, because oh, he ran, he ran some like fifteen kilometers. Just stay on the right, right bloody wing, keep some shape in the team. I actually think United fandom is irrelevant here. I think if yeah. Beckham played for yeah. Arsenal or Liverpool, I yeah, think yeah, I just yeah, 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 accept. Yeah, yeah. one of the best is we talked about assist a few weeks ago. One of the best Robert, Robert Pires, Real Madrid, Robert Pires Real Madrid, Beckham Pires swung around for Ronaldo. Pires was better. Watch Beckham for Real Madrid. Pires Nothing to do with United. Nothing to do with United. Pires is better than Beckham. The heights of Robert Pires were better than the heights of David Beckham. No, you just, you the height of David Beckham was, treble, was the treble year, wasn't yeah, it? And he, yeah, which was his best season and they won the treble. It's funny. Uh, they, they, did they win the treble because of David Beckham or did they win Both the treble goals. because they had Roy Keane he and played Paul a massive, massive and Dwight York and Andy Roy Cole. Roy Keane and Paul Scholes weren't there for the final. Both goals in injury time. Both goals in injury time. Beckham corners. They were there the for the rest of the season. Arsenal replay. Yeah, but you two free kicks. Was a, two free kicks. Ryan Giggs scores the goal in the FA Cup. Beckham, Beckham scored, scored the, the first goal. goal. Beckham scored the first, the first goal. goal. Okay. Okay. There's loads. And he scored against Spurs the last day of the season in the Premier League. Why don't you marry him? Seven forty nine this morning. Happily. Up next, we're joined Happily. by Cathy McNamee.
Ahead of a massive night for Irish football <laughs> in Scotland. First, here's Ashley O'Reilly speaking with Vera Powell ahead of kickoff. This is obviously a, a massive game. It's a massive game for Ireland. It's a massive game for the nation. Everyone is behind you. Do you feel that, I suppose, support or is it pressure or what way do you see it? I don't see this pressure at all. I feel that the Irish people are so behind us and supporting us and, and trusting us that we will give it our all. And um, I think that the judgment is more, uh, do we put everything in to grow and to every time be a better team and better players? Um, and I, think, I feel that that is what the people appreciate that we're working so hard for it um, and of course we want to make the people proud tomorrow again uh, I hope that uh, we can still show our best even if it's not going our way um, and that people will see that we have put a whole heart and everything into it to get a result and to get Ireland as a nation to the World Cup Oh, uh, we hope so. And there's been quite a number of injuries, so you've, I'm sure, had to reshuffle the squad and the starting eleven. How was that for you? Was it difficult to, to pick the starting eleven? Of course, it, it is different, um, but that is something as a coach you need to deal with. Um, in different, in a sense that we had to try out a few things. Um, so that means that the lead up has just a little uh, other path than you would have without those injuries. Uh, on the other hand, we're ready. Um, and I always say when the time comes, when it's getting closer to the game, the solutions will come um, and that's always the case maybe that is experience so we were just working hard and making trying this and that and, and, and finding the best way to deal with it. And for a lot of these girls, if, if not the majority of them this is the biggest game they've ever played in to date. Have you addressed that with them to I suppose manage the, the nerves of it? Yeah, we don't see it like that. It is the biggest game because it is the final game of this whole process. But without a game against Finland home, without a game against Finland away, Sweden away, if we wouldn't get those points, got those points, we wouldn't have been here now. So in that sense, it's just the order that makes it big, but it is not bigger than the, the, the Sweden away or Finland away game. Right, that is Rear Power talking with Ashling yesterday. Kathleen McInerney, host, host of Koi Gig, is with us. Um, relatively excited this morning, Kathleen. Yeah, I think I came screaming into the office this morning being like... Oh, I think your mic is switched off, is it? Are we switched off? Oh. Yeah. Switch is on there. That's how excited everything is. Kathleen pointed out as well earlier that she, she has worn the Irish colours into the studio. I've inadvertently worn blue, which I should have really thought about considering Scotland are the opposition tonight. Every so other night you could get away with it just being Monaghan colours. True, to, actually, yeah. But yeah. today, sadly not. I didn't even actually plan this. This was just purely a coincidence in my general state of mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> deep in the subconscious it's there. Um, like, uh, Dunphy's in the paper today saying that this could spark a new uh, Katie Taylor moment. I think it's actually different to that because it is team sport and he's making the point that, um, you know, our great athletes, uh, female athletes of the last decade have all been individuals as opposed to maybe the Ireland hockey team and the, the Cork footballers were the great women's teams. But this is a crossover moment where, like, it's actually very like the Euro 88 campaign where... There's going to be a big game in Hampden Park that um, in many ways helps to define whether or not we're going to make it. Plus, it's a World Cup. Like, it's a World Cup. It's not just the Euros. It's a World Cup. Yeah, I think this could be something. And I also think that, like, when Katie Taylor broke through, the sport was in a very different place. Like, boxing, especially women's boxing, and our knowledge of it in Ireland was in a very different place. Whereas, like, we know this team. We know these players. 
you know, you already have people walking around with McCabe jerseys or Sullivan jerseys or Quinn jerseys or whatever it is. This team is already in like the public consciousness. It's we already have quite strong feelings about them. So if anything, I think it's going to be an even bigger moment if we do qualify when we do qualify. Um, and I think like we've seen it whenever Ireland go to these major tournaments, even like take the example of the Irish women's hockey team a couple of summers ago. That was a sport that not a lot of people paid attention to. That was a sport that not a lot of people would have known the names of before that. But the absolute turnout, the excitement around it. Imagine that with this women's team now when we actually know all the players. We know Vera Powell. We know what they are capable of. I think it would just be sensational. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Scotland, OK? Because we are in the midst of an injury crisis at the moment. And Scotland have lost their best player through retirement. But actually... They've had a good, solid campaign to get to this point. They're going to be feeling pretty confident about the fact that it's an Ireland team, shorn of several of our top players, maybe not our best players, but certainly uh, first choice. So uh, I think they're going to be feeling pretty confident in advance of this game. Definitely. And I also don't think the Kim Little being missing matters all that much to Scotland anymore. She's been retired for long enough that the story has moved on for them they, they're not thinking about her as much even though she isn't a fantastic player um, it definitely was a massive loss to them they are they're confident like I was reading Caroline Weir and uh, Massa Lopez talking about it before last night before the match and they were saying that you know mentally they're in a really strong place physically they're in a really strong place they have no injuries so they have their first choice squad. Uh, they were looking at us and kind of saying that we had a good like run up to this but, and that they expected us to play quite a direct style and an attacking style, which I thought was interesting. So I don't think we've ever really watched Ireland and thought, ah, yes, direct attacking play. Um, and I think what's interesting about this Scotland side is like they were down and out after the World Cup. You know, that was pretty disastrous for them. Three losses. Uh, the manager at the time, Shelley Kerr, like, gave this explosive post-tournament. Um, so it was talking down to the players and, like, even afterwards admitted that she'd gone out for dinner and, like, had a few drinks and it was probably a bit more explosive than she intended it to be. And since then, it seems like they've been trying to, like, repair themselves and obviously they didn't qualify for the Euros. And then Pedro Martinez Losa has come in and he seems to have taken a very holistic approach to the side and really worked on like building mental strength. Not all that dissimilar to what Vera Powell tried to do with the Ireland team. Um, like I was reading, I don't know, was it in one of the Scottish, I think it was in one of the Scottish papers earlier that he has uh, post-it notes of different colours and like uses those to track like players' moods per day and stuff so he can like see day to day how players' moods are tracking and if they're like going up or if they're going down and that's how he makes sure that everyone in the team which I thought was kind of interesting mm-hmm. and a very kind of almost rudimentary way of going about things but I mean if it works um, and that's the one thing that they have been talking about constantly throughout this qualifying process is like mentally this team is in a really good place they know that if they go and they win tonight they deserve it because they put in the hard yards and yeah I, I mean listening to Caroline Weir say that she's excited to play against Ireland and that she feels like she might have a banger in her is never exactly what (laughs) anyone wants to hear going up against a player like her. I actually hadn't realised that Martinez Losa had signed Kitty McCabe for Arsenal in, tw- in 2015. So there's an, a massive air of familiarity here between the players. Like it, it, but it's one of those things, we know Katie and Denise O'Sullivan are going to be targeted and kicked off the pitch. 
in in some ways like but it, because they're more familiar with these players than perhaps the Slovakians or, or the Finnish players it's going to be a little bit more touchy um, like is Katie the type of player that enjoys that sort of attention or is that off-putting for her like she seems like the type of character that can that can rise above it so hopefully any Scottish kicking doesn't put her off too much yeah I think she enjoys it to a certain extent like obviously she she's come off the pitch a few times and kind of given off about the fact that, that her legs have been taken out from underneath her how many times but I do think it fuels her to a certain degree I mean you watch her play for Arsenal and she loves getting into a bit of a feisty in- exchange with someone and I mean her yellow card count alone would probably tell you that she does like that feisty side I think it'll be particularly interesting to see her and like Aaron Cuthbert because they have matched up against each other quite a few times in the WSL um, and they always go for each other like it I, I mean I'm sure they're probably ground off the pitch but when they're on the pitch it's like a proper rivalry so it'll be interesting for the two of them I think with Katie and we saw that a lot throughout the qualifying process and even yesterday when I was listening back to some of the press conferences, she refused to get excited or drawn into any sort of emotion pre-post-match. It seems like she channels everything into her play on the pitch and that's where she lets herself be exposed. And, and I don't mean exposed in a playing sense, I mean in an emotional sense. And that's where she gets everything out. Um, so I think if she can harness that properly tonight, then it will serve us very well. I think there's an element of the the whole Sean Boylan thing, like stick your shyness in your back pocket. I need. I think we need to stick any negativity in the back pocket tonight. Like just have the confidence because from the outset of the group, we knew Sweden were going to top the group. So the playoffs were always going to be on on the. It's not like this is a surprise that we're now here and oh, magically we need to get up for a playoff. We've been as a team probably preparing for playoffs for for quite some time. So as Vera Power said, like, the team are are ready for this. You would imagine. Yeah, definitely. I think. Uh, if anything, the few injuries may have been the thing that mentally might have given us a bit of a wobble. I actually don't think the way we've played at all in the last few months will be because I think we've been relatively as good as we expected to be, if not maybe a tiny bit better at times. Um, it's unfortunate that we have the injuries that we do, but I also think that... This is something actually that I was reading because Vera Powell obviously started out her coaching career with Scotland and I was reading a past player who didn't actually play with her but would have known quite a lot of the players who did and she was saying that uh, there was some anger. Some people loved Vera at the time because she played the same team and she came in and over the time she was there she did actually bring Scottish women's football on quite a bit. And then some players absolutely did not like her because she once she had her starting eleven or her like core squad, it was very, very hard to kind of muscle your way into that. And I found that interesting because what we've seen from her throughout this whole tournament, particularly this qualifying process, is that she has stuck to who she wants and she's brought players in on the fringes but it it has been quite hard to break into that core squad but she's kind of been forced to do that now with the fact that we have had so many injuries over the qualifying process so I'm kind of interested to see how that serves us longer term in the hope or in your positive thinking way Shane when we qualify for the World Cup and when we go to Australia and New Zealand next year I love that it's all about positive affirmation so um not not wanting to risk a Kevin Caban Nations League moment here, but going to anyway, teetering out onto the onto the ledge. What are the permutations tonight, Kathleen? Oh, you're throwing it to me. Okay, well, <laughs> get the calculators out. So six <clears throat> o'clock, we have Portugal and Iceland, Switzerland and Wales. Ideally, we need 
Iceland and Switzerland to lose because they're ahead of us at the moment. Uh, and we also need a win. Like, regardless of what happens, Ireland need a win tonight. So the three winners are ranked off your results in the group stage of the qualifying campaign and in their playoff final. And it's the top two from the table that book their spots. So Switzerland are on 19, Iceland are on 17, and Ireland... Or sorry, Iceland are on 18 and Ireland are on 17. So if Switzerland or Iceland win their playoff on penalties, they would only have a point added because for some reason that's a thing that they do in these playoffs. They don't give them the three points, just give them the point. Uh, and so that will be classified the draw. So if we win in 90 minutes, that's good for us. And if the teams are tied on points, it then goes to goal difference, which is based on, again, the qualifying and also these matches. Then to goal scored, away goal scored, and so on. And we are level on goal difference with Iceland, three clear of Switzerland, and lead the way on goal scored by one. Okay, so if they go through on penalties and we win, we're through. Yeah. Uh, if we win and uh, they win in 90 minutes, then we're going to a playoff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we basically need one of those two teams to lose. It's the dream situation, and we win our match, and we're home clear. And if not, and if one play. of those if one of those two loses, and we win on penalties, it doesn't matter a jot. We're we're through. That's the just like, win basically, and we'll we'll, we'll stay win. alive. Win to stay alive. That's every time someone asks me about the permutations, I'm like, just win, just win the <laughs> just game, win first, the game first and foremost, and then we will see where we we'll go. We'll essentially from know at halftime of the Ireland game what what our result will mean. But the, like the farcical thing and whispered quietly, but the farcical thing is that all these games aren't being played at the same time and Katie McCabe kind of referenced it yesterday like in the interest of fair play and sport we should have been on at the same time as the other teams Well this is the exact same point that um, Stephen Kenny was making with Joe Malloy last night yeah. it was like we're not playing in the last round of group games it's absolutely farcical so it turns out that it's very difficult to organise these But it's balanced way. out in the, in the men's game where the we're getting screwed fair. over and in this <clears> one we're getting kind of a bit of an advantage almost yeah. so I don't know I don't know like obviously if it was the other way around we'd be quite annoyed yes. that we wouldn't know what's happening Will I take the advantage today? <laughs> I will. And I'm not saying that for any bad karma to come my way later on. But I think we've had such bad luck with qualifying. And some of it has been like self-made. Other things have not been self-made. So I think we deserve this little bit of luck. And hopefully it will. Give, I mean, chances are the players probably won't even like look themselves to see. I don't know. Mm. Like if you're a player... Do you want to know what the score is, or do you want to just like fully focus? It's probably kind of dependent on. Yeah, I guess it's case by case, isn't it? Some of them will, some of them will want to know, and some of them will use it as further motivation. It's like one goal here, and we're going through. And yeah. like as soon as somebody in the team knows that, um, it's going to go uh, through the team like wildfire. So, uh, one of the things that we have been good at in this campaign is not beating ourselves. Like it has been less self-inflicted than in previous campaigns. Has Vera Power managed to totally take that out of the team? Um, I don't want to say she's managed to totally take it out of the team because I think those scars are still there and I think the team has been using that as motivation in this qualifying process but there have been some iffy moments and even I was watching Courtney Brosnan a couple of weeks back play for Everton and like Courtney Brosnan has come on leaps and bounds she's been incredible but there was a similar kind of like ball hop over the head moment that we'd seen before for Ireland and it just put a little bit of fear in me so I I never want to say that we've like totally eradicated those things because I do think it is a longer process I have a lot more faith in this team than I did before I used to watch it like kind of with my hands over my eyes kind of slightly seeing out through my fingers because any time a ball would be played I'd be worried about a mispass or just something silly whereas I don't have that anymore um, it's just 
I mean, it's difficult, you know, when the nerves set in, you just don't know what you're going to do or if you're just going to have a flash moment of silliness. And I don't want to say we have completely eradicated because I feel like that's just asking for something to happen later on. <laughs> Does the crowd have any, like I know they had a, a record attendance at Hamden for the Austria game and expected to break that again tonight and probably difficult for Irish fans, as we said, to get over given the uh, the late notice as to who we were playing the Celtic game being on as well, so I guess the flights and ferries are fairly full heading over to Glasgow for the, for the for today and tomorrow uh, to come back home. But like, I don't know what impact the crowd is going to have, but atmosphere will be important, Kathleen. Yeah, it will, and I think. I, but I also think that we have we've shown that when we travel, we're actually quite good at getting a result and obviously having your own crowd there is really important and they've made Tal a bit of a fortress for themselves but I don't think it's going to be one of the defining factors of tonight mm. um, especially I think because I think there's an expected turnout about 10,000 in Hampton which is great because it's like hitting up on those record numbers that they saw last week for the Austria game but it's for me, having been in those situations before, I don't think it's enough to build a, an entirely threatening atmosphere. Um, so I don't think it will be too much. I think we should be able to just focus on what we're doing. I uh, thought it was interesting as well. They didn't practice any penalties last night in the training session that they had. So they're clearly spies watching. You see, aiming for the win. I, I have a feeling there's going to be someone like an, an there's going to be like an Alan McLaughlin moment. Someone's going to step up. Abby Larkin, 17 year old Shelburne teenager off the bench to score a winner. Someone we weren't expecting necessarily to do something crazy. Well, it could happen because I mean the talk, the general talk about the team is that. She is the likely one that will come on a bit later, yeah, maybe yeah. her or Quinn, um, to like get that last minute. And I mean, what a story that would be! That would just be great, and it would show, I think, where this team has gone over the last few qualifiers. Like, I just bring Pow has done a good job of bringing in players like her, like Ellen Malloy as well, and I think. For someone like her to get it, it'd be great. It's going to be that or it's going to be a Louise Quinn header. Realistically, that's what we're looking at. <laughs> <laughs> Just to uh, you know, puncture all of this a little bit, the odds are heavily in Scotland's favour. Their odds on Ireland are <clears throat> as big as 3-1 to one or, or bigger in Didn't most places. That, right? yeah. yeah. So this is not 50-50, oh, even no. though. Well, um, we've played them 21 times. It's the team we've faced the most out of any other country, and they've won 12 of those. The majority, I'm not sure what the split between is for draws and losses, but the majority of the rest are draws and then losses for seems us. So. Have the bookies got, got that wrong? Like the book, that seems fairly long for Ireland, given that the, 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 the recent games have been fairly tight affairs. Yeah, so. I just think that probably Scotland, with not having any injuries, home with advantage. having home advantage, Cuthbert and Weir are such good players. Um, and even players like Martha Thomas is in there as well. You know, they have a good few high-class WSL names. And so we where, where plays for Real Madrid? Yeah. Have they any other superstars that people should be looking out for? Um, I think probably Rachel Corsi is not necessarily a superstar, but she's their captain and she's been there a very long time and is a very, you know, almost like a Louise Quinn, Nifahi sort of figure, very right. experienced very good. Uh, Lisa Evans also plays in the WSL. She was with Arsenal. She's with West Ham now. Um, used to go out with Vivian Miedema, so you know has has the insight to that mm -hmm. tactical sort of brain. Claire Emsley as well. She also played over in the WSL and now plays in the NWSL. I think so. They have like these are 
big names that you would recognise if you watch the WSL on a weekly basis and probably a bit more experienced than some of the players that we have. Um, but at the same time, I do think we have a lot of talent in there. I mean, even someone... You look at our back line, it's pretty experienced. Um, we have the Megan Campbell throw, if we want to throw something in there that they are not expecting. Uh then the, you look at the Abigail Harrison goal, that, like in, when you're trying to pick things out that the Scots could maybe do well, and I know maybe the Austrians lost her in the floodlights a little bit, uh, but when you look at Fahey, Caldwell, Quinn, they just can't allow that to happen. Set pieces have to be oh, completely on point. Yeah, if we concede off a set piece, then that will be a major fa- or failure for Paul tonight, I think, because that is the one area that we need to have absolutely tight, because they have the players that can bang those goals in. Unless it's a superb Cuthbert or Weir strike, if it's just like a header or something, then that will be a serious failure of the defence, and also, well, it depends on how Paul sets them up, but I don't think that's how we want to concede tonight at all. It has to, if it's at all it better be from open play I was actually wrong about that Ireland are 7-2 to two, so it's bigger than 3 right. it's over it's nearly 4s um, so uh, yeah Scotland 6-4 to four on the draw is 9-4 I think it could easily be draw in 90 minutes and then we're going to win we're going to win let's manifest it on OTBM this morning lads no negativity let's go All right. give us your prediction I'll say 2-1 Ireland I'm going with Shane's positivity yeah. Abby Larkin winner we will take that yeah. 11 minutes past 8 this morning uh, obviously the game is live on off the ball this evening Joe with you from 7 o'clock Kickoff is at 8 and we'll have analysis and reaction on the show tomorrow as well a reminder OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day after the break we're live with Motorsport Network's Jess McFadgen chatting about Team Red Bull's sticky situation OTB AM Alright very welcome back to OTB AM 12 minutes past 8 on this Tuesday morning we're with you as always until 10am this morning uh, plenty to get through in terms of uh, Formula 1 OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, Motorsport journalist Jess McFadden is on the line with us this morning Jess very good morning to you Good morning I, I, there, There's so many oh, like you'd think ordinarily after Max Verstappen winning a, a world title we'd start with that but I actually want to start elsewhere, and we'll get to the to the Red Bull budget cap issues as well. But um, terrifying images uh, coming out of the the race in Japan at the weekend uh, from Pierre Gasly's onboard footage. Now, this this is uh, not unusual in in Japan. We had the the terrible incident in twenty fourteen uh, when Jules Bianchi was killed when his car uh, went into a, a tractor, essentially off track. There's been a lot of uh, outpouring of um, concern from the drivers after this race as well. Jess, you might explain to us what happened um, and just how close a call it was on Sunday Sunday morning. Yeah, absolutely. So we had some pretty awful weather out in Suzuka at the weekend. Uh, it was just relentless rain for most of Sunday, which meant that uh, we had a delay to getting the race started. Um, but the FIA have been criticised uh, actually at the round before in Singapore for not getting things underway Fans like to point out the fact that we do have something called a wet tyre, which is meant to be able to allow for racing in the water. But you could see when we did get things going, the standing water that we had on track was just incredible. And these cars dispel water at a pretty crazy rate. Um, And we saw rooster tails, which is what we refer to when you see 
just great big washes of water being kicked out the back of these cars. You know, they're, they're aerodynamically built to to kick anything out of its way so that they can go as fast as possible. And the the visibility was was just terrible. There was standing water, and what we found was when we did get racing going, Carlos Sainz aquaplaned which in itself, the, the incident that Carlos has was, was quite scary in itself. He had zero control over the car, just skidding across the water um, and hit the barriers quite hard, but he was, he was okay. Um, but what that did mean was that they then had to rescue his car. So the FIA called uh, a safety car to slow the cars down, to get them all bunched up so that they could then safely recover the car. Now, this is where it gets a little bit confusing because what we did see on the images, so the rules are that there are not meant to be any cranes on track, uh, which is the cranes are what we use to recover any stricken vehicles. They shouldn't be on track if there are race cars on track or if we are not under uh, a red flag scenario where we've, where we've stopped the race and the cars have pulled into the pits uh, and are no longer out on track. Um, but we saw from images that that whilst the safety car picked up uh, Max Verstappen, who was the leader at the time, um, they did go past the crane and the crane was out on track. Now, what the what w- that becomes unclear and the reason why the Gasly scenario was maybe a little bit more scary was um, Pierre Gasly took the the move to pit for different tyres and to change his front wing. So he ended up being a long, long way away from the rest of the cars that had then been picked up by the safety car. And what's normal procedure is for any cars that find themselves a long way away are allowed at a certain speed to catch up with the pack, essentially. So that's what he said he was doing. Um, and when he came around the corner to where Carlos Sainz had had the, the accident, there was a crane out on the racing line and he was going a lot quicker than any of the cars that were behind the safety car. And so when he saw it, well, just about saw it, because again, as I said, the visibility was so uh, bad, he he was incensed because, as you mentioned, that was uh, a similar reason as to why Jules Bianchi had his awful crash that eventually cost him his life. So there was a lot of very emotive reaction to that from all the drivers, uh, we did have a red flag scenario uh, not long after or not long before Gasly actually uh, caught up with the crane or got to the point on the track where the crane was. But there was genuinely about two seconds between the red flag being called and Gasly getting to the to the section where the, the crane was. So it wasn't enough time to have really any reaction. Uh, now, he was Gasly was found to have been speeding under red flag situation which uh, cost him a 20 second time penalty post race um but it was it was it was basically the the question as to why there was allowed to have been a crane on track in the first place because by our understanding of the rules and by the driver's understanding of the rules there shouldn't have been one there at all and you see the images of Pierre Gasly in the in the pit lane afterwards, understandably incensed. I think he was picked up on camera saying, I could have been killed. Um, mm-hmm. And he had every right to be incensed. And, and even reading uh, Jules Bianchi's father, Philippe, on Instagram, he's uh, posted an image, a screen grab of, the, of Gasly's car going past this crane. And he said, no respect for the life of the driver, no respect for Jules' memory. Incredible. And, and as, as Gasly pointed out as well, regardless of what speed he was doing, even if he was doing as low as maybe 100 kilometres per hour, if he had been a metre or two to the left and as you said it was on the racing line uh, the reality is Pierre Gasly would have been taken off that track in a body bag 
Uh, that is what everybody is quite terrified about. And, and you mentioned Jules. Well, the FIA did a report after the Jules Bianchi incident that cost him his life. And there is there is in the report that they said that they will um, in, essentially make sure that there are no vehicles on track, no recovery vehicles on track whilst there are drivers on track. And that's not what happened. Now, the FIA have said they're going to launch an investigation into what happened, but they are doubling down on the fact that it's not unusual for cars to be, uh, for cranes to be on track under red flag scenario. The issue is that we all saw the crane was there before the red flag scenario. So either something, there's been a breakdown of communication where the clerk of the course, who is the person who who controls what happens around the circuit, has either, there's been a, a, so a breakdown of communication. They've not been in contact with uh, the, the marshals who are operating those cranes, um, but something went wrong. Something, it's, it, it definitely looks from the outside that, that, that there was something where that crane shouldn't have been there. Um, and we're waiting to hear what the FIA concludes, but I mean, it's a self-investigation. So um, I'm kind of not holding out hope that they're gonna say that they did any wrongdoing. They don't seem to like to admit when they do anything wrong. Um, but it, it definitely needs to be looked at because, as you say, it was pretty disrespectful for, for Jules's memory. I think fans were um, understandably upset by it. Um, but as I said, we'll have to wait to see what the FIA say. Jess, the papers are all full this morning with the um, the notion that Red Bull are going to be punished as a team, but that nothing is going to happen to Verstappen for their overspending last year, which I think is kind of what people had predicted in advance of this. Um, is this a let's all move on and forget about it, nothing to see anymore a kind of solu- solution that is the worst of everything, but kind of the best of everything too? Well, Red Bull still seem adamant that, that they didn't break any cost cap rule. So they put out a statement last night, which we'd been told that no F1 teams would put out statements, but Red Bull did. Um, and they asked, they said that they are uh, very upset by the findings and that they will work with the FIA to come to some form of conclusion because they are still adamant that they are within the cap. So um, there is a process that teams can go through now. Um, I don't think we're going to hear the end of this anytime soon. I think we'll be lucky if we hear the end of this by Abu Dhabi, which of course is quite frustrating for fans because they have essentially been told yesterday that there was some wrongdoing or the team was um, outside of the cost cap regulations um, and they are going to want to know what happens next and, and what the punishment is. The teams obviously, the, the other teams outside of Red Bull have obviously been quite vocal in that, that they believe that the punishment should be swift and hard. Um, F1 themselves and the FIA, when they launched this initiative, said this has teeth. Ross Braun says this regulation has teeth if you are found to be uh, cheating and your sever- and the severity is high, then you could lose your championship. Now, Red Bull have been found to be in minor breach, so maybe not as bad as what was uh, originally rumoured, but um, there are still reprimands that could, that could impact them. Uh, it, again, it all depends on how much over that 5% threshold, which equates to around about $7 million um, over the original $145 million. Uh, it depends on how much they're found to be over it, how cooperative they are with the FIA for the remainder of the investigation, and then what the FIA deem to be a suitable punishment. Now, it does actually can go to what's called the cost cap adjudication panel, which is an independent uh, panel of judges. Uh, so they are they are separate from the FIA. They are separate from F1. They're separate from the teams. And uh, it, it could, if it gets that far, be ultimately that panel of judges that decides Red Bull's punishment. Um, but it could be as simple as a public reprimand, which is essentially just 
a official telling off, which means that nothing happens. Uh, Red Bull keep all their points. Max keeps his championships, um, and we and we try and move on from here. But if if you read Twitter, and I guess it depends on what kind of fan you are, um, people are baying for blood. Now, I'm not sure that that's correct. Um, it all really does depend on how far over and in what instances I think that Red Bull, if if they have, as the FIA have suggested in their investigation, gone over the cap. Um, so we'll have to wait to see. But this could be a long, drawn-out process. There can be, um, you know, even if we do get the cost cap adjudication panels finding and they go, say this punishment fits the crime, um, the Red Bull could appeal that and take it to the International Court of Appeal. So we could be here, we could be here into next season and still not know what the punishment might be for 2021. And presumably there's no chance that they were over the cap in 2021 and that they might also be over the cap in 2022. Surely that, like, once would be unfortunate, two would look like carelessness. I mean, that is the thing with... Well, the the, the problem that we've had this year is it's the first year... Well, last year was the first year of the cap. And so there are still grey areas that teams are arguing that where they're not clear on what is and what isn't included or how you can submit certain... Uh, certain spending and, and 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 not others. So um, you would suggest that they, they've they've entered into 2022, or you would assume that they've entered into 2022 with the same attitude as 2021. Um, so that will remain to be seen. And, and the problem with a sport that's based on technological advancement, engineering advancement, once you've spent on an area, then it's kind of hard to not still reap the rewards of having overspent in that area. So it's one of those things where uh, we had a not a similar uh, scandal, but uh, the Spygate scandal where Ferrari was and McLaren were found to have swapped notes, essentially. Um, And even though McLaren didn't use any notes it took from Ferrari, uh, the the FIA deemed that even just knowing them, even just reading them, means that you cannot forget that knowledge and therefore we cannot guarantee that you wouldn't then go on to use that knowledge. So they they had their championship in 2007 uh, taken away from them, constructors, championship was stripped from McLaren that year. So we have seen um, similar and harsh penalties uh, awarded by the FIA. That was quite a long time ago, as I said, 2007. Um, But it will all depend. Like We still don't have the details of what the overspend was. All we know is that it was in the minor overspend category. Yeah, and as you say, Jess, like that, that that's quite important, I guess. Like minor overspend category, so less than 5% of the, of the, daily, of the uh, annual budget. But as you say, the upper end of that could be seven million. I mean, you're seeing things online that maybe suggest it's around the one million dollar mark potentially, but but who knows? We don't have the final figure yet. Like Lewis Hamilton has, has essentially come out and said that he feels if Mercedes had overspent by even three hundred thousand dollars, that maybe they would have won the championship last year. He would have won the drivers' championship. So the figures the figures do matter here. It, it does. It's, it's an expensive sport that is built on development. The entire reason for the cost cap being introduced was to try to level the playing field to stop the big teams just throwing money into performance and, and, and running away from it and not allowing anybody else to, to catch up. So money makes F1 go round. It's, 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 it's fundamental to the sport and to the sport that we see out on track. So it is, it is important. It is very important. It just, as I said, it depends on, on, on what areas. Now, I mean, we all know that most businesses can sometimes get smart with their books in terms of how they put money. And I, I would be under no illusion, whilst there's no evidence of this, that every team has been very clever with how they have submitted their budgets. Um, so, you know, I don't think there's any uh, <laughs> kind of, there's probably no innocent party, as it were, but 
uh, if you fall within the regulations, you fall within the regulations, and that's okay. But yeah, money is is central to this to this sport, and uh, it, it can be the difference between being competitive or, or not at all. So it is important. It's it is the reason why it got brought in. It was to to try and make sure that we don't have one team dominating because they can just throw money at it. Yes, it's some, uh, John Claffey in the comments with us this morning on YouTube saying, I'm sure you could get a nice upgrade for $7 million, especially in the championship that went down to the last lap. That's if the uh, overspend, of course, was at the upper end. Um, Jess, we, we, we almost forget that, uh, I guess, the story that's been hidden from the weekend is that Max Verstappen has become a, yeah. a two-time world champion. Um, a little bit of an anti-climax, and, and not least because I know Alex Albon was talking after the race and saying because of the weather and the conditions, he almost felt like the race shouldn't have gone ahead. And then there, there we are afterwards kind of wondering, is this full points given out for this race? Is it not full points? Which was obviously crucial for, for Max Verstappen and, and uh, whether or not he, he secured the championship. He seemed confused himself after the race, but as, it's, as it turns out, he is the two-time world champion. He is. And in, in a way, I feel sorry for him because he's not yet won a championship without question marks next to it. Um, and not in terms of whether he's deserving or not, because he's he's been untouchable this season and was so competitive last season as well so um i feel a bit sorry for him in that way i mean i don't think he's necessarily bothered he does seem to take this kind of stuff on the chin and just say well i'm champion so move on um so yeah but yeah sunday sunday was just one of the strangest days i think that i've worked in formula one just because of the the crane incident the the red flag situation where we we didn't have any racing um, for like two hours or something like that. I think the red flag went on for. We then had a race that was um, didn't didn't meet full distance because we do have a time limit on how long we can run races for. So we hit the two hour window, and that was the point where everyone got rather confused because everybody, including the broadcasters, had been displaying what happens if we don't reach full distance, and then what points are then awarded based on how far through the race we have got. But once uh, Max across the line and Leclerc had had uh, he went he went off trying to defend from Sergio Perez uh, ended up going off the track and was deemed to have gained an advantage and so was given a five second penalty which dropped him down to third and in doing so with full points awarded Max Verstappen the championship but nobody seemed to know other than F1 and the FIA that that's what was happening um, so everybody was extremely confused and it as you say it was a little bit of an anticlimax for Max. Um, I think I, I joked that we didn't get to see Christian Horner on the radio telling Max that he was the world champion. He found out in Park for May, uh, well, when Johnny Herbert announced it to him because he got told in his ear, oh no, we're awarding full points for this race. So mathematically, he's the champion. So it's it's one of those things about Formula One. I mean, I I would argue that if not even the teams and drivers know the rules and know what's going on, then something isn't quite right here. We should have the people at play understanding the rules because what what happens there is that people will play the end of the race differently because they think they are they are strategizing their race based on a certain points haul. So they would they we could have had a completely different scenario, a completely different ending to the race if the strategists and the teams were clear that actually this is this is these are the points we're getting at the end of the day based on the position that we're in so it's it's one of those things where there's almost too much red pen in the regulations where we've gone back and amended things and changed wording um and everybody's then le- left a little bit confused because 
this point system based on distance all came about after Spa last year, where we saw two laps behind the safety car and called that a race and there was uproar. So it was it was there to try and not let that happen again. But in doing so, the wording of the regulations went potentially clear. And because we did get racing again, even though we didn't meet full distance, uh, we get full points. But genuinely, there was a lot of a lot of confused heads across the media center, uh, in the teams. I was talking to team members afterwards and they had no clue that that was what was going to happen. So something, again, is not quite right. I think we do need a serious overhaul of the regulations to make sure that everybody knows what's going on. A bit of clarity for the the viewers at home. Not to mention the participants would be good, and the guy who's just yeah. been made champion. That no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the champion. Am I, am I the champion? That that is all time great footage, um, which I'm sure will make the documentary. Jess, great stuff. Great to have you with us again. Thanks a million. Thank you. That's uh, Jess McFadden there, clearing up a lot of the um, uh, stories, subplots, and subterfuge that's going on at the moment. It, the soap opera is making it way more. Uh, <clears throat> appealing to casual sports fans I have to say well I mean Drive to Survive is going to be another brilliant season because of incidents like this and even though even though like the season was not yeah that compelling it's just little moments at the top end yeah but like <clears> the, <throat> yeah. a bit of a procession the, saf- yeah. the safety thing was the one that stood out for me like the the, the footage of, of Gasly nearly hitting the, the crane was was terrifying brought back I, I remember seeing the footage of, of Jules Bianchi's crash in 2014 when he was he killed and died by, a while later in hospital from his injuries but it was horrific um, and it looked almost identical same track uh, so yeah we avoided very narrowly a complete disaster at the weekend Alright OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today here's a snippet from our exclusive chat with the Republic of Ireland manager Stephen Kenny speaking with Joe Malloy on last night's show about his frustration with the fixture schedule for next year's UEFA sorry Euro 2024 qualifiers you can catch the full chat on the OTB podcast network via Go Loud or on the OTB Sports app. We're back after this with today's sports pages. There are no no games that are easy. We've seen in the previous campaign, um, the previous Euro campaign, where Gibraltar has one nil and one nil late on, uh, finished two nil at home. So there's no formalities, and you've got to earn the right to win every game. Um, so, but our play is that Gibraltar are second in in those windows. The minuses, if you like, in the schedule. And firstly, I'm very, very disappointed with uh, the lack of transparency around the last fixture. Um, for example, we we don't play on the last day. So Greece, um, Holland played Gibraltar and Greece played France. France need a draw against Greece. They can take a draw if Holland need need to know this. They need to score four goals to be Gibraltar to go through. They know that we we've no fixture, so uh, we're we're not happy with that at all. Like that's uh, you know the draw was made yesterday, and then you don't find out the fixture to the season after the consultation with the TV station. If there is going to be an odd one out, surely it has to be the lowest seed. You know, surely it has to be the lowest seed. So we think that's. Um, the lack of clarity around that decision-making process, how it's made, and uh, it's it's just not equitable. I don't think, and you know, I don't think that's that's a fair process. Um, what's your under- is, What's your understanding of how those decisions are made, Stephen? And did you seek clarification today? Yeah, well, I've, I've seen clarification, but there's no very little feedback. You know, just um, that that's the way the draw is, and that's you just have to accept it. That's sort of that's that's sort of the the. What, what, what you're informed, I think, um, in, in regarding the the June window 
Greece away. We wouldn't have wanted that in June. Obviously, we've seen fires ravaged through Greece last summer and temperatures are really, really high in June. So we, when we looked at Greece, we said, well, we'll take, take them in any other window bar June. We didn't want that one in June. Um, so that's something we'll have to prepare for and acclimatise for. Uh, I think that's, that's a, our preparations for that are going to be very, you know, very important. I think also the, the two-game window in September, back-to-back France and Holland, obviously, is a difficult window. Mm. Uh, within three days, France away, Holland at home. But that's, that's the nature of it. We just have to... The fixtures are there, so we've got to prepare it accordingly. There's eight fixtures, we've got to treat each of them with equal respect. And we've got to plan, um, you know, we've got to plan accordingly. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, Emma, come on, don't be, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. Uh, right, we'll get to the sports pages in a minute. Uh, Patrick McHugh says, if Beckham was world-class, why did Ferguson usually drop him for the biggest matches, which went a long way to a bad relationship between Beckham and Ferguson? Disgustingly overrated. <laughs> what big matches? Like the Champions League final, which Beckham played a key, key role in and started on the right flank? Uh, um, Supercan354 says, absolutely myth about Beckham's left foot and pace. Scored a beauty against Chelsea with his left foot in 0-2, 0-3. Once in like a gazillion games, uh, Jerry, you've lost the plot. Bex had Brad Pitt syndrome, underrated because he's handsome. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's not true. It's true. It's he's overrated because he's handsome. That's what happened. He's overrated because he's handsome. No, but Brad Pitt syndrome. I've never heard of Brad Pitt syndrome, but uh, I mean, I don't know. Brad <laughs> Pitt. says I know it well. Good, but not great. It, it, it's good, but not great. I, he's, he's a good, good footballer. Beckham, he's a good footballer. A good but, like, footballer. Uh, was he better than Ronaldinho? Was he better than Luis Figo? He was one of the Galacticos. He went after United, even. Yeah, look, uh, loads, loads of he was he was a Galactico. You've seen the Ronaldo goal where Beckham sprays the ball. No, it's another good another good thing. Yeah, he's he's good at that. A lot, a lot of funny, a lot world of good class. Things. There's a lot of good things here. For so he's only he's in the decent. team of the year. Did he? What did the, what did the players think? Who did the players vote Player of the Year in the ninety eight ninety nine season? But, uh, I'm sure there was a lot of candidates. That David year. Ginola, David Ginola. That's who they picked. When when David Beckham was asked about being world class, he said, "I was not world class." That's what he said. That's what he said. Yeah, but he, that's <coughs> not that's modesty. I like that about Beckham. A little bit of modesty. So like it, it, it generates. Oh, yeah, he's actually world class. Same type of modesty that would see I don't know queue for for twelve or thirteen hours to see your your monarch. Yeah, because uh, he's desperate for an owl, an owl sore, sore David. I don't know. He told. I don't know. I, I I completely disagree. He was definitely world class for for a couple of years at least. He had to be. All of the players around him. He didn't have to be. He didn't have to be. He was surrounded by world-class talent. Would Keenan? Would Keane, He made, uh, So he made Roy Keane's best team uh, on on the right flank. Uh, so even Keane picked. Was him. Was Dennis Bergkamp better than him? I mean, different kind of player, wasn't he? Yeah, but we're, we're like it depends. Like, do we have to play in in your world eleven? Do we have to play a right wing? Like, was Messi better than him? Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. Okay, yeah, yeah. Was, You're making my argument here. Yeah, is Rio Ferdinand better than him? Yeah, plays a different position. Yeah, he was. Is Buffon better than him? Yeah, he is. He, Buffon's a better goalkeeper. So they're all world class. World class. Yeah, they're in your they're in your world they're team wor- tonight. World class. The 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 football equivalent of Space Jam is happening. The aliens are invading, and you're picking a team. You're like, oh Beckham, I want you on my team. I'm like, I'm gonna have. Well, all the players gonna have, are just named. I'm gonna have Figo. I'm gonna have Rivaldo. Yeah. I'm gonna have Ronaldinho, and I'm gonna have Thierry Henry in my team. And then suddenly I've got like two holding midfielders. It's Skulls, 
maybe it's not Skulls. It probably isn't, to be honest. It's Keane and somebody else. Keane and Vieira. That's well, my team. And you're like, oh, I'm going to take one of those out for David Beckham. Who are you taking out? World class. Who are you taking out? Well, he's he's on the right wing, isn't he? He's not. No, I've got I've got Ronaldinho. I've got Rivaldo. Depends on who formation. Ta- who are you taking out? Depends on formation you're playing. Well, here, I'm playing four two three one here. In his in his in his prime, in his absolute one or two best years. There, there were no right wingers at that time better than him in the world. In terms of what he was creating, he was on he was on a Manchester United team that won the treble, uh, and he was at well, a it, peace uh, for England. Uh, uh, like uh, loads of players win trophies, right? Yeah, the, but, the trophy winning thing. But are they pivotal to that tro- to those trophy wins? Like Mo Salah was pivotal to, to Liverpool winning those those uh, trophies, so he had to be world class for that year or two. Mo Salah was the high heights of Mo Salah were way beyond the high heights of. David Beckham Mo Salah carried that team at various stages when uh, when the chips were down Beckham Would Cole and York have scored the goals they did in that treble year regard, uh, without Beckham's deliveries? Dwight York, Dwight York had the same number of assists as David Beckham even though Beckham gets all the credit for like oh he's the most assisting of all time no Dwight York had the same number of assists that season but when there's a dynamic up front like Colin York you're going you're gonna to be helping each other he's out. taking the free kicks it's his job to whip in the crosses of course he's going to have assists yeah but he's still he's got one he's got one basic job what kick free kicks he, was, he even, was he even better than Ryan Giggs no was he better than Ryan Giggs yeah but if, was he both were pivotal to a, to a, to a treble winning team like if Beckham no had, one's if, putting Ryan Giggs in I don't know maybe maybe if Beckham maybe. doesn't play the FA Cup semi-final replay against Arsenal if he doesn't play the Champions League final against Bayern United likely don't win those two games and then they win just the Premier League that year and we don't ever, ever talk about the treble team because it doesn't happen so he had a few good games but is he world class more than a few were, is he in the best 11 in the world that year he was yeah that year nah. 100% nah. that year 98-99 nah, nah. he, he, he was in the best 11 in the world that that one season. No, just, I'm not. I'm not saying you know, David Ginola won the Players' Player of the Year that year. David Ginola in the same position. Great player, and again, Brad Pitt, another great-looking man. David Ginola. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, he's, so he's underrated because he's so handsome. They're both handsome men. Let's not get da- go down that track. But Beckham was world class. Like, I, I can't see. I, 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 I there's no I way Beckham wasn't world class. Roy Keane rated him as, as as one of the best players he played with. Any United player from that generation you ask will say. Yeah, Beckham. Sorry, I mean, Zidane obviously uh, was the player of the year, the Ballon d'Or of the year before. Voting, finishing second in the Ballon d'Or does not make you world class once, randomly. It just doesn't. How does it not? Because it's... Because so you're the second best player in the world for, for one given year, but you're not world class. Because the people voting for the Ballon d'Or generally don't have a clue. If I finish second in the Ballon the players, d'Or, someone tries to tell me I'm not world class. The players, on the other hand... I give up or retire. The players, on the other hand... Well, he... Roy Keane was far more important to that team in 98-99 than David Beckham was. Everybody knows that. Beckham got 260 votes for being famous because he was the England captain. He shaved his head and did blah, 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 blah. But without, right? without any of those cogs in that team, you know, Keane didn't play the Champions League final. They still won the no. game. Same as Paul Scholes. No. Beckham plays and he's instrumental in the two goals in injury time. Instrumental. Okay, he takes the, he takes the, he takes the corners. We gotta go. We gotta go. We didn't get to the papers. John Duggan's with us. Jaron Shane, how are we doing? Hi, John. All okay? All okay? Go on. You, you tell us. What, what about? David Beckham, world class. Very good footballer. Um, but... Uh, he the man. For that year, for a year but or two, whatever, whatever he says now, it's true. For a year or whatever two. Whatever he says now, it's true, I agree. I'm not saying he was world class over a prolonged period of time. Yeah, for that year, he was I, world class footballer. I, 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 think he, I think he was a whew, world class footballer behind a lot of other world class footballers. 
How do, is that the so, best way of qualifying? Exactly. No, that is, that is sitting on the fence. I'm taking that as a win. You, said you, can't, you can't be world class behind other players. That's it. it world class is like in the, top, in the team. What, what are we talking about? World class in the top. You're in the team. You're, you're like the, my definition of it is uh, the football version of Space Jam. The aliens are coming. You have to pick a team to represent the Earth to save humanity. Beckham's not in the team. In 99, 2000, he's in my team. I, he's not in my team. He could be in your team as a right winger. Yes. Um, but when I think about the United, team. the United team of 99, like Keane, Skulls and Schmeichel would be ahead of, um, and Stam would be ahead of Beckham. They're all in different positions. And probably Giggs too. So when you're thinking about the Liverpool team that won the Champions League, you think Salah's right up at the top of your, of your picks. Yeah, but uh, Stam wasn't a, 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 a more of a world-class right midfielder than David Beckham. Did Beckham at right midfield that year uh, was world-class. Stam played like World Cup semi No, he was brilliant at centre-half, yeah, but I'm saying in that position of right midfield, that year, Beckham was world-class. <laughs> well, I don't... I mean, In his given position. Uh, you know, he delivers balls in to Cole York, Sheringham, Solskjaer. Would they have scored the goals they scored that year without Beckham? Probably not. One thing interesting about Beckham is that Ferguson let him go. You know, remember, Ferguson let him go. Let him go because he was yeah, kicking boots at his head and there was attitude problems towards the end. Probably Beckham wanted at to be at a his, At his still peak. At his still peak. Still let him go at his peak. Yeah, he that let says, him go. That says something. He about let him go. Beckham's legacy. No man's bigger than the dressing room and I understand why I let him go. But it just Fair says enough. something about his legacy. His legacy is, is it's, it's very good. It's B plus, but it's not A. I would agree. Yeah. Ah, uh, lads. There was, uh, I disagree. Yeah, I mean, entirely. Like, if David Beckham wasn't English, he'd be considered. In this, oh, I agree. There's hype because in, he's this, English. in the same tier as like Freddie Lumberg, great for a couple of seasons, and then he went off and on his world tour and had the crack, but was never one of the main players. I know Ronaldo Warnine rated Beckham. I know Raúl rated Beckham. I know all of those lads. Guti rated Beckham oh. because he created so many goals for them. Oh, what are you going to say? What are you going to say about the, this famous guy who's going to give you and who has the power to like? boost your career and your earnings for the rest of your life that guy was great he was amazing he was fantastic and then they're all like yeah but like we were the, we were the ones well, they scored the goals also I can note a couple of things about Beckham right so I, I said he's a B plus is a, I think a good way of describing what he is in 98 he let the team down whether he deserved to go or not he let the team down I remember he jumped or hurdled himself in that Brazil game in the World Cup quarterfinal and that led to a Brazilian goal like these are the moments you're remembered for and that Beckham was an amazing dead ball specialist but like he didn't run games, he was like he was great at certain things, and the Greece thing was brilliant for him to qualify for the World Cup. But there was a limit to it. It's a B plus, not an A. Salah is an A. When he when he launched that goal against Wimbledon from the halfway line, that was the start of a career that you would describe that I would go on to describe as world class. Like to play for Manchester United, Real Madrid, AC Milan, captain your country. Uh, he didn't take him to a World Cup with a free kick. He, he might have been a free kick, it yes. It wasn't impactful, though, for Real Madrid and AC Milan uh, compared to other players. No. You have to say Steve McManaman was more uh, a marketing tool for uh, Real Madrid than Benjamin. He still had a great career with both of those clubs. Yeah, but sure, loads of players have great careers when they're surrounded by better players. Like, loads of, loads of great players. Ian Hart was a better free kick taker than him. Like, I think fairly statistically that has been. The, the notion about him not having any pace, didn't Ian Hart beat him in a race? Like... I think that um, I think that he was very, very good. Scored some great goals, but like very, very good. So he's on the brink. You're about to say excellent. You're getting close there, Jer. Not a very, hope very that he good. Was genuinely, two verys. It was one very there about ten minutes ago, but we're on to two verys. We're making progress here, lads. Uh, we're getting there. B plus is not bad, by the way. If I get a B plus and a leave insert subject, I was. Ferguson also let Stam go. He kicked Stam at his peak two. Yeah, Ginola won. And he admitted that was his biggest mistake. And everyone said WTF. Beckham was world class as Bobby Dwyer, who's a Spurs fan, even just for England. 
against Colombia in '98. Well, how does it, you know? As John points out, like the the treatment of him after the World Cup was despicable, but he was pretty thick. Like in the peak moment when the game was there for them, when they were about to like get over their quarterfinal hoodoo, and that team had the opportunity and and the, the playing pool. To reach greatness, Russia blood to the he head. Failed. Rooney yeah. did it in 04 as well. He Greece for yeah, but he was a kid. Uh, Greece for the O2 World Cup says Bobby Dwyer. I still, I still think that Greece for the O2 World Cup. Like, I mean, it's it was only a Greek team who weren't very good at that stage. They were at home. It's in Old Trafford, and he had no discipline. Like the reason that they need to that last minute superhero thing is because he's completely out of position for most of the game. Beckham was like twenty two in nineteen ninety eight. Was he not a kid as well? Uh, well, Rooney was like what. 18 yeah but I mean, Mbappe was 19 and won the World Cup um, and was hugely influential in winning that World Cup for France Beckham 4 team of the years Premier League Hall of Fame PFA team of the century PFA team of the century isn't it that the PFA never actually voted him player of the year isn't that interesting that, yeah, um, the team of the century though they stick him in the team of the century because he's famous because oh, he's, he's famous, famous at that stage. But when it comes down famous. to it, is he the best player this year? He was never the best player this year. UEFA Team of the Year twice. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of love for David Beckham out there. You know, but rightly sure. so. Rightly yeah. so. It's because the uh, was in the queue, wasn't it? Brad Pitt, by the way, also an underrated actor. We should. We should. Is he really out. underrated? He is. Do you want one to start the, this? One of the great performances. By Club is brilliant. He's, ah, he's got. He's got so many great performances. By Club, he was good. Brad Pitt is, is, is unheralded as an actor. Sorry, we won't, I mean, he's we not unheralded. That. He's like literally one of the most famous and rich actors that there's ever yeah, been in the history of the planet. He's not unheralded. Because of his looks. Brad Pitt syndrome, we've just discussed it, you know. Moneyball, uh, money a great one. Yeah, yeah, great shot. What's uh, going in Hollywood? Thank you, Colin. Keep them coming. The, the sports team, keep on the sports team with Moneyball as well. Don't come across now that you're being fed lines. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. These all came just at the top of my head. Right, that's, that's those comments. We, we're, closing, we're closing the Beckham section of the show. Unless, unless you're a genius in the comments, you're not getting back in. 8.47. John, what have we got for us? We've got three takeaways, three Tuesday takeaways. Well, Liverpool, their best days might be behind them. I would worry for them a bit. I think that they're going to need a lot of investment. I think that Klopp will need to feel that he's got a, a, another go on him for the next three to four years. Because it, it could end quite quickly. He might just say, you know what, I've done my thing. I've won everything. It's been an amazing team, an incredible team to watch the last few years. But I just worry for them a bit at the moment because they were so consistently great and now it's at times they're great like the Nunez goal the other day and at times they're just not what they were uh, that'll be one uh, takeaway from the weekend the second takeaway Ike Casillas and Carlos Piol are Muppets and not much else needs to be said about them and the third takeaway is that Roy Keane uh, makes it okay to like 80s music based on what he said last night on uh, Monday Night Football DJ Mike Anderson in yes. the corner Somebody actually has a video of me, Barry, hey. Barry Dunn from uh, 98 FM. No way! Has got oh. a video of me doing the DJ or, or us. So for, I've got to dig it out now. I've got to get the memory stick off him from 29 years ago. So we'll try and get it on wow. AM. That's the year I was born, by the way, John. Not to well, there you go. Every, everybody now in the whole world knows Barry Dunn as the man who makes people very happy when he phones them at like four o'clock in the afternoon for the cash machine. That's right. Um, uh, you must be quite into that cash machine, Jerry. You're waiting for the call. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, well, we're just not allowed to win. As um, well, You won so much in Kilkenny. Well done, everybody, by the way. Well done, Jerry. Well thanks done. very much. Well done. Thanks very much, everybody. It was great. A, a good night was had. <laughs> um, so specifically, he, he actually name-checked a bunch of people who... So he started off Bob Dylan, I think, is his yep. kind of stereotypical answer Bob at this stage. He did top threes. So he did top threes of... Then he named about five others. Five he, other he did, 80s bands, didn't he? he? Yeah, he did Depeche Mode and Deacon Blue. Yeah. Uh, so it's okay. It's okay, folks. Like 80s music. Are Depeche Mode touring? 
at the moment. They are. They're playing in Namahal Castle next summer, and I must go because I, I saw them in when poor old Andy Fetcher was here. I saw them in the uh, the Point, whatever it's called now. One of the best gigs of my life I've ever seen. They're probably my favorite band. Um, oh, overrated, I think, John. Are they an outdoor? Are they going to be as good outdoors? They weren't world class. <laughs> well, Dave Gann is some performer, so uh, I don't know what the acoustics are like in Mallow Castle. I've only been to cricket there, up in that direction. But um, any time Depeche Mode play, it's, it's, it's definitely worth going to see. Favourite Depeche Mode song of all time? Uh, I would probably say Enjoy the Silence. Um, but Stripped is also good. Um, Policy Truth. Um, and then even the early Vince Clark era, um, CU. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of good stuff in there, in their back catalogue. Quality band. We, Stick it in the playlist when driving home later on. We've got to get uh, DJ Mike Anderson back. Yeah. Um, so if one of you guys, you know, I don't know if you got time for this, but you know, Roy Keane did the top three. So he did top three movies, music, holiday destinations, mm. and sports stars. The safari pick was interesting. He said he was asked then what lion, what animal would you be on a safari? Yeah, that was he such an lion. obvious tee up from the presenter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, clearly a lion. Yeah, clearly a lion. Ha <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I don't know if you have any views, lads, because I thought the movies they picked were quite predictable. The Shawshank and The One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest mm. and blah, 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 blah. So. Castaway is my favourite movie of all time and there's no... Castaway? Is that Tom that's Hanks? That's Tom Hanks and oh. Robert Zemeckis directed it. it. was, I think it's the most perfect movie ever made. There's, there's so little dialogue and talking in it and he then befriends an inanimate object in a volleyball and you feel so... You, you actually cry when the volleyball floats off into the ocean, into the wilderness. Like... You, any director that can make you cry over an inanimate object, I think, deserves kudos because I cried for. Is it not Bender like Beckham? Not your favorite movie, no? <laughs> not quite. No, Castaway. I have one of the Castaway. I have quotes. not seen it, so I must check it out. Ah, oh, John, John. Tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring? I have that quote tattooed on my, on my arm. It's like honestly, so much my favorite movie. Like I, I, I still watch it. It comes on at Christmas at different times, and I've watched it maybe ten or twelve times. I think. I never, never get sick of it. Do you have your favourite film? Chinatown. <sighs> yeah. Pick. Great, yeah, great, yeah, great. Yeah. John Houston, great film. Can't yeah. argue. Great mm, film. I, again, I watch it. I watch it once a year. Um, yeah. Stand by me. Yeah. I have oh, never yeah. seen Stand by Me. One of the great. Shame. Really, John. Yeah. Coming of age classic. Yeah. Very sentimental. Rob Reiner. Like, um, you know, but also very good. And then I don't know. I was I was trying to think of a third one. Like, is it? Tim Burton's Batman but then I haven't seen that in a long time so maybe it doesn't stand up I'm not sure but I think it probably does I don't know I might watch it with the kids this year and terrify yeah, the shit out of them what's yeah. your pick John did you say your pick's there uh, Wings of Desire is my favourite movie um, it's about uh, angels in Berlin who descend to earth before the wall fell I would also have Blade Runner in there the final cut is that the five hour one the, the, the original um, when they got the Harrison Ford one and just got it right it took them ages to get it right but they got it right eventually you know, the atmospherics around that so also love Taxi Driver for a bit of um, darkness mm. quite a good film Saving Private Ryan as well another one for me yeah good good, good, good movie World War II obviously films. films in Wexford you know yeah but there's so many like you, the great thing about it is you could you pick a different three uh, you know I'm one of those people that, that would that would happily go to the cinema alone like I, I just would go to the cinema to experience the movie and, and uh, depart into another world for 90 minutes to think hours. That's a, I think it's an unusual thing a lot of people I, I, would, I do the same I do exactly the same yeah yeah I yeah. do exactly I think the we're same. in the minority maybe, maybe you could go together instead of going <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah is he better like that friend movie friend it's uh, 8.53 John good stuff right, that's uh, John's Tuesday takeaways and, um, and also I just say one thing go on yeah 
new podcast, Mark Your Card, golf tips, football tips, horse racing tips on the OTB Podcast Network with Betway. Start last week. We made all profit on the golf already. Second of 50 to 1, fourth of 33 to 1. Mark your card. Check it out on the podcast network. He's on fire. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're switching our attention to matters at Aston Villa. And I'm delighted to say we're joined by the host of Villa Spaces, Ty Bracey. Ty, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, gents. I'm good. How about yourself? Yeah, not bad. Um, I'm, I, I do wonder if, if one of Stephen Gerrard's biggest problems is that the team is boring to watch at the moment, that there's no joy about being a Villa fan, that there's nothing to get, you're like, even though the, the collection of players should be really good, there's just nothing to hang your hat on and go, ah, I'm delighted to be sitting down here for the next 90 minutes and like getting behind this group. I, what, what's happened at the moment that that's the case. Things are things are very stale. Um, it, it's not the 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 most enjoyable football we've seen in recent times. Um, we're 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 not looking very good in front of goal. Our final third product just isn't there. Um, it's it's really tough at the minute to watch as a fan. It's it's quite frustrating, and we've you know we've got a, a striker who's out of form when the opportunities do arise. So it, it's it's a tough one for us as fans, really, because we we don't look dangerous when we're going forward. Um, I, I said last night, the only game I've watched us play this season that I've enjoyed was against Manchester City. And, you know, that was just a draw. It, it's, it, it's, it's worrying times. We, we just don't look great in front of goal at all. Um, and we, we haven't got any strikers who are hitting the net when we do have those chances. So really tough at the minute, mate. I do wonder if part of it is that the concentration is on not giving up goals and being hard to beat. And as a result of that, that actually... There's just not enough work being done on being creative. It's like, well, you, you guys are you guys are uh, world class footballers. You should be able to go out there and do that. Come on, Philippe, I, I I pick you. I put you in the team. You fix it for me. As opposed to, okay, here's the strategy. There's the weakness in the opposition. This is how we're going to take on their left back or their centre back or their left sided centre back. Or anytime the goalkeeper has the ball in his hands, we're going to push up here. It doesn't feel like there's any strategy behind what they're doing as an attacking force. Yeah, there's there's definitely there's nothing that seems uniform in our play going forward. It's very slow and sluggish. And then we have to call on a 37 year old Ashley Young to get a rocket out of his back pocket and score last night. So, I mean, as much as I'm grateful, he's he's carried us through in some of the games this season. He's 37 years old. He's he's shown up in a time of need when we're when we have injuries in those positions. And you know, we're we're lucky to have him. So there's definitely a bit, a bit of an identity problem going forward. Um, that's that's definitely a massive struggle. But something's got to change. Something's really got to change. I enjoyed um, your 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 uh, tweet last night, Ty. Where you you, you uh, shared the Christian Perslow statement on the the sacking of of Dean Smith and just for the wording of it. After a good start to last season, this year we have not seen the continuous improvement in results, performances, and league position which we've all been looking for. For this reason, we've decided to make a change now to allow time for a new head coach to make an impact. Quite pointed and uh, a statement that is that a statement you expect to see a fairly similar wording of in the next couple of weeks. It's a statement that was made of the reason of why we had sacked Dean Smith and we, we haven't progressed. We 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 brought Steven Gerrard in to take us to the next level. It was a risk granted because he had only done it at one club, but we brought him in to take us, you know, push on up the table, push on up the top half of the table, at least be pushing for the Europa spots, playing good, attractive football. And we've done neither of those three. We've done neither of those three. So there, there has to be a time limit on it. Obviously, the World Cup coming up, uh, soon that's something where they could wait until that but I, I can imagine it's a bit of a ticking time bomb at the minute but does does Christian Perslow as the CEO have to take any of the flack here for 
for what's happening at the minute? Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's him who's appointed the the manager, then then most definitely it has to be. But we we have to take risks, and you only can appoint who's in front of you at the time, who was available when we appointed Stephen Gerrard. So, I, I will always get behind the manager, no matter what. I'm not going to be toxic at Villa Park when I go there. I'm always going to get behind the boys, regardless of recent performances or how we're playing. Um, it's just to, to come away with a point against Nottingham Forest. And that, they really made us look bang average last night. So there, there needs to be something. Um, there really needs to be something. It's it's concerning as fans. We're, we're not enjoying the football we're watching. There was there was shouts of Gerard out at, uh, from the away end last night. Ty, do you think that if a new manager came in, that the current crop of players are underperforming? Yeah, I do. I think we, we, we've been unlucky with, with injuries, most definitely. Diego, Carlos, massive loss. But defensively, I don't think we've been too bad either. You know, without him, I think we've been okay. But we are missing Buba Kamara. That's a, a huge loss in the in the defensive midfield role. So um, th- those two things haven't helped at all. We've obviously had injuries at left-back and right-back as well, which also hasn't helped. Um, but as a squad, we have a really good, talented pool of players. We could probably use one or two more in January if 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 that is the case. Um, I, I do think we do need one or two more. Um, but yeah, the the, the 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 general squad as a whole, I'm I'm very happy with, to be honest. So I guess that's the the key argument here is is whether or not Gerard's getting the best out of his available resources or if a new manager came in, they could actually do better with the same resources and then at least build a plan for investment and, and a structure towards that investment into the future. A question on the recruitment, right? because I'm, I'm not sure who was behind the recruitment in the summer. Does it feel like it's going in the right direction and does it all feel like it's, it's part of a plan? You know, Because at the well-run clubs, there's a director of football who buys players and the manager uh, uses those players to implement his style and they're the... The, the clubs that are generally successful, uh, you can see that there's a plan behind it. I, I, maybe with the injuries, it's hard to judge whether or not the, those players are, suit Gerard's style. Um, yeah. What's your in, what, what what's your instinct about that? I mean, Buba Kamara, huge talent, 22 years old, Champions League experience, got him on a free, great signing. Diego Carlos, proven in Europe, great signing. Philip Coutinho, most expensive Premier League uh, transfer in history. No goals and assists in ten games. It's the the talent's there for the players, but it's just not clicking on the pitch. It, it's it's really not clicking on the pitch, and that is where somebody has to be held accountable for that. I mean, we did lose Michael Beale, who was Gerard's number two. He's took on a managerial role at QPR. Never easy to replace a character like that. He's 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 very talented at what he does, and he, he's very good in his tactical abilities. Um, Somebody just has to be held accountable for that. I mean, I don't think there's a problem in the recruitment process in terms of the players we have recruited. I'm happy with the business we did in the summer. We probably could have used one or two more. We definitely could have used one more in the middle, um, another eight. Um, but there's, there's players like Cameron Archer on the bench who aren't getting any minutes. We, we didn't send him out on loan, but he's not really featuring. He came on last night. He didn't look too bad when he came on. He he He... He looked like he was hungry to do well. He was hungry to put a ball in the box. Twice, he once he tried to ping a ball into the box with his weak foot and then he tried to header a ball across across goal as well when he could have just headed it in. 
Um, he, th- there's definitely a player there as well. But if he's not going to get the minutes, send him out on loan and let's get someone in in January who he's going to start and play because th- it's not working currently as it stands. We've got to do more. Seven goals in nine games. It's just simply not good enough. Uh, like you mentioned Coutinho there Ty and, and he was someone highlighted by Jimmy Carragher on Monday Night Football last night where he said he was a million miles off it he's a shadow of himself uh, and you mentioned the stats there I think it's one goal involvement in, in, in uh, 20 appearances uh, at this stage which is uh, brutal from his uh, point of view he's the only attacking player as well that was actually bought by Steven Gerrard and then after the game Gerrard name checks him and Ings and uh, Buendia Watkins as these players who now need to actually just stand up and, and uh, show a bit of leadership for the team. From the Coutinho, Coutinho point of view, it's very concerning as a Villa fan, I'm sure. Yeah, it is. Um, but we know that the players the players in there. But we say that with everybody, but how many times do you say we know there's a player in there? How long can you be out of form for? It's, it's we've collectively as a team, everybody has a bad game. It, it's It's acceptable, but we've got to continuously as a team keep moving forward and the form just has to be better across everything going forward we look stale in the middle we look stale going forward defensively luckily we've been okay Emmy Martinez had a great game last night but with with, with someone like Coutinho you'd expect to see a little bit more if I mean if that's that is correct what one got a goal involvement in 20 we we just need to see a little bit more we we really do Emmy Buendia is not getting the starts not getting the, the minutes that he deserves and he most definitely has that in his locker to do those things. So if you, you can't be starting a player who's who's not creating those chances, who is out of form, you, you've got to give them that that kick up the backside and, and give somebody else a chance who's hungry and waiting, who can play in the same position. I do wonder about the, the responsibility that Perslow feels and the connection that he feels with Gerrard how easy it's going to be for him to make that decision to move on. Because ultimately it does look like it's bad business from him. Take Gerard. Gerard fails. It's respons- you know, it's his responsibility. The only way to get around that is if like you do get somebody who's an excellent manager. And I don't know, is there a, a ready-made uh, list of candidates? And uh, maybe you never know about a good list of candidates. That's how good football should work. But um, who do the Villa fans believe is a credible replacement for Gerard at this point? For, for, from looking on Twitter alone, there's only one, and it's uh, Pochettino. He, he's the only one that's really... There, there was calls of Potter before he went to Chelsea, which would have been great for us. Um, you know, local boy as well. It could, could have been another fairy tale there, but um, Pochettino seems to be the the only one who has really been spoken about. But would he come to Aston Villa? That's a, I think it would be a great project for him, should that be the case. Should we get rid of Gerard? I think he would be... Um, a great successor to him to, you know, take us to that next level because he's got the experience in those in those areas as a manager. So, whether he'd come to us or not is a is a different story. But again, a, a great project to take on going forward. You've got a good, a really good base of players, a, a really good strong core of players, and then you, you only can move up from there. The bare facts tie are, are nine points from nine games, a few three points. I think it is above the relegation zone. Uh, and you look at the fixtures coming up, you've got Chelsea at home next, uh, then Fulham away, Brentford at home, and then Newcastle away and Manchester United at home. So not the easiest run of, of four or five games coming up. <laughs> you know, with based on the current squad that they have and the players at Gerrard's disposal, where do you think they should be uh, in, the league, in the league standings at the end of the season? 
in in the current you mean how we're playing well, like, currently before the season with, with that squad just just, just looking and forgetting the results so far this season and yeah. you looking at that squad before the season started where do you think they should have finished there, there should be no reason for a, a top half of the table push there should be no reason why we can't push for the top half of the table with that squad absolutely no reason whatsoever but as we said, seven goals in nine games, where are the goals coming from? There's no attacking threat. There's no identity going forward. It's really stale and really poor to watch as a fan. It's so frustrating. And to all those fans who have gone there on a Monday night to, to Nottingham to watch us play and, you know, sung for 90 minutes and then have to endure that. It, it's, 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 it's a massive shame for them. Tyro Mings has gone over to everybody, gone over to the fans and had a chat to the fans. Nobody else really did that. He went directly up and spoke to the fans and he was the only player who did that. And that's the player who was stripped to the captaincy. I mean, it's- when you think about that, right? Like, I just don't believe that Gerard has any emotional intelligence when it comes to dealing with the players. I don't, I don't believe that he's got the ability to take Ollie Watkins' struggles and convince him that he's, he's a great striker and that he can, he can kick on. Like, under a good manager, Ollie Watkins will be scoring goals because he'd believe in himself and he'd have confidence. Emi Buendia would believe that he deserves to be in the Premier League. And no good manager would have treated Tyrone Mings the way that Steven Gerrard did. Because it, it was like taking a, a club hero, cutting the, the legs from under him, and then and then he needed him the next week and Tyrone Mings has done nothing wrong. It, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, and that's the main problem I have with Steven Gerrard. Well, that and the fact that I don't have a clue what football he's trying to play. You know, are we... Is, is he a team who wants to press? Is he, is, is he a team who wants to sit back and hit you on the counter-attack? Is he a team who's got three midfielders who are going to keep possession? I don't, I don't know what they're trying to do. Yeah, it's, that, that, that's the, the unfortunate thing, isn't it? You know, we, we've gone for a massive change. If there was things going on behind closed doors that we don't know about, then they're not really things that you know, we can comment on. So, so we understand to an extent, but... To, for him to go over after being stripped to the captaincy, he doesn't know us anything to go over. He's not the captain. He he's gone over to chat with the fans, and he understands that they're frustrated when they're when they're calling for the manager, you know, to to, to be gone. So for him to go over and be that professional and chat to the fans just just shows what type of person that Tyrone Mings really is. So huge credit to him that he he still plays that leadership role. You know, he's the last one out. Um, when everybody's when everybody's gone inside after full time and he's outside talking to the fans to the people who've travelled there so absolute fair play to him he's very in touch with the fans always doing good for people on Twitter he's he's really a good soul so he's still showing that he's a leader in many ways on and off the pitch no bot no bottle I think Roy Keane said after the game that the, the, these Villa players have no bottle and I know Keane loves a you know a line that's gonna that's gonna stand out for the, for the social clips but. That that's something that shows a little bit of bottle at least, Ty. When Tyrone Mings is walking over to the fans, like, do you think more of the players should be kind of stepping up like that and, and holding their hands up? I don't, I don't expect everybody to go over all eleven players and go over and you know take an earful from the fans, but Tyrone Mings definitely has a connection with the fans, and I think that's very important. I think he's one person who is very connected to the fans, uh, and he, he's been around a, a long time. He's been with us on this journey to you know, to the Premier League from the Championship. He's been with us all the way. He's really been there for every step of that. So um, he, he he's very connected. He, he's one of us. He, he really is a villain. And it's just a shame to to see that he, he has to do that. And he's the only one who does do that. But, you know, if, if we haven't stepped up as a team, then collectively your captain should be going over as well. Yeah. Is Jacob Ramsey 
Yeah, actually, I don't know. Has any player, I might have given the answer away here, has any player actually improved under Gerrard? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to... No. <laughs> I, I'd say the answer is no. I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Maybe my head is clouded with judgment of last night, but I, I can't really think of anybody who has excelled under Gerard. I, I can't. It did feel like early, early stage when Gerard just arrived that Ramsey was given more freedom or confidence and was doing well. But I don't know yeah. if that he's maintained that progression. And I don't know if, like, I, I think maybe this is where he would be anyway. I, I, I suppose it's, I'm, I'm reluctant to give Gerard too much credit for Ramsey emerging as like a, a very good player um, because it's just hard to see what work, where the work is 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 showing up. Yeah. Um, we know the talents there with Ramsey. Uh, at the start, when Gerard come in, he he did look he did look like he was he was excelling. He he got a new contract as well. It looked like he, he was he was really growing into a, a, a young a young man with great talent. But last night, a bit of a hothead. But he he did keep getting snapped. The ref didn't protect him. I think two of the three fouls, or maybe even all three. There was times where there were challenges that were a bit naughty on him. So I could understand where the frustration was coming from. And obviously we weren't playing the greatest. We probably just got a bit on top of him. So I I, I really don't. I I understand why last night he may have drifted off a little bit and, you know, he got a yellow card then, ultimately got took off in the end for us to go a little bit more attacking. But you've got to keep your head. You've got to keep your cool in those situations, especially when we're chasing three points in the, the situation that we're in. Can I just ask you a last one for me, Ty? A bit of a random one, but we, we've been kind of talking about Monday Night Football on the show this morning, uh, the Sky Sports coverage, and, and referencing a lot of the talking points that came up between Keane and Carragher and the, the top threes, the lists. Like we often joke when when the, when a game isn't maybe as as sexy as some other games. Like maybe a, it might seem unfair to Nottingham Forest and Villa fans, but you know it's not the Monday Night Football game that gets everyone's juices flowing. Um, yeah. For for someone who supports one of those teams how do you feel about about watching them I think it was only maybe 7.35 or 7.40pm before the, the build up actually started for the, for the, for the game itself so I, I'm interested to know how that makes a fan of one of those teams feel it is hugely frustrating as a fan of one of those clubs it is hugely frustrating I think it's disrespectful to the clubs I mean it, it doesn't surprise me that when we're lining up for a corner or a substitution that they don't show a quick ag break of something that happened in Arsenal v Liverpool the day before. You know, it's... I I understand the, the the size of the clubs in terms of fans, but Aston Villa and Nottingham Forest are no small clubs. Nobody in the Premier League is it's the biggest league in the world. There's more than enough coverage, more than enough to talk about during those shows in the build-up to, to have a, a good pre-match build-up of... Both teams, let's talk about Villa and how we're doing recently. Okay, it might not be positive, great coverage that we want to see, but th- th- there's been nothing happened recently where we've looked great. But let's look at things and look at where areas we needed to improve leading up to this game. Let's look at Forest, the money they've spent in the window, their rise back into the Premier League. Look at those things, build that up, build that suspense of before the game. But instead, we're watching... 20 minutes before kickoff, whether Gabriel Jesus handled, handled the ball or not. Who cares? It was yesterday. I guess the only uh, comeback is Villa need to do better, have been more compelling. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I understand yeah. your frustration 100%. 
But yeah. um, you know, Stephen Gerrard's team were like uh, swashbuckling their way through and creating loads of chances. There'd be more for for them to analyse and more for. It's us nearly to talk more about. interesting when they're doing badly. Well, you know, teams as well. There's a certain certain yeah. element of. Well, I, yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe there is a reluctance to criticise Gerrard too. I don't know. Like Ty, one last thing. You said you're not, you're never going to be toxic, and I totally appreciate that. And I think that's probably the right thing for for you, and probably the right thing for most fans. And yet at the same time there comes a point where it's probably going to be the toxicity in the stadium that forces the hand of the chief executive and the owners. So it's this kind of weird balancing act where you're like, oh, but I support my team. Uh, how do I, what's the right thing in the long term? When when do you think the, the fan base will turn enough? Or are we kind of at that point? If, if they were to lose their next home game, for example, is that just going to be the stadium as one saying, right, come on, it's time, move on, sack them? I mean, we play better against the bigger clubs. <laughs> we we um, two one against Arsenal. We gave Man City a very good game. Who knows what Aston Villa are going to show up? And that's part of the problem, isn't it? What Aston Villa are going to show up each game? We we really don't know. There's no consistency in any part of our form in any half of football. Um, I will go to Villa Park regardless of how we are playing, whether I believe Gerard should go or not. And I will sing my heart out until I lose my voice. It's just, I'm always going to be that guy. I'm not going to go in the stadium and boo from kickoff. Are things rubbish? Yes. Do we deserve better? Yes. Should we be better? Yes. But I'm still going to go there and sing my heart out. But again, if we don't fight against Chelsea, there will be shouts for Gerard out at full time. There will be. Ty, great to have you with us again. Thanks a million, man. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Cheers. That's uh, Ty Bracey giving us the Aston Villa fans' view there on the situation and just how much longer it's going to last for Steven Gerrard. It does feel like it's the like the beginning of the end was kind of the start of the season and that the end of the end has to come sooner rather than later as opposed to maybe he can turn it around. You know, maybe he's finding his feet from a tactical and technical and emotional intelligence perspective, but it'll be some turnaround from here. And he, like he, even, he was asked last night after the match about positives. Is, are there any positives to take? And he says, the effort and application for the players is good. I'm not sure it is. So, like the, the evidence from some of the players is that it's just, it's not great, especially from an attacking point of view. And when, when, you're, only, when you're only scoring one goal against Nottingham Forest, whose goal difference is the worst in the league, and granted they had the big defeat against Liverpool, but that's per and you're relying on an Ashley Young rocket, really? I mean, there's and it's not even the lack of gold; it's the, it's the lack of creating chances. Well, it's, there's no there's no plan. Well, yeah, there's but the but then plan. on the Gerard thing with the World Cup coming up, do you, it seems unlikely that they're going to sack him before the World Cup. I don't know what the World Cup has to do with anything. Well, to say. well, maybe like the, you know they, they sack they give a manager an international a long international window in which to take over a team, build a plan, come back. You know, once the. But wouldn't you do it now? Yeah, so you've got these. You've got a month of games, and then you've got a month off, and it's like, and then you've got a month of buying players. It just makes the upcoming fixtures a little bit more perilous. You've got two or three games, you know, immediately after sacking a manager, where there's a little bit of uncertainty. You're trying to get the right guy in, as Ty says. Yeah, Pochettino will be brilliant. Does Pochettino want to go to Villa Park? I don't know. Uh, uh, it's a Premier League team, I know, but I mean, the money, the money is the deciding factor. Nineteen minutes past, sorry, sixteen minutes past nine this morning. Uh, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day on OTB Sports Radio today. We've got uh, Jerry Eisenberg talking about Muhammad Ali at one o'clock. Dad cast from three. Owen Redden is a career retrospective at four. And Ronnie Delaney is OTB Gold at six. Joe's back in the hot seat live on Off the Ball tonight for live coverage of Scotland versus Ireland from Hampden Park. Make sure you follow us across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network. We're back after these with Tom English speaking ahead of Celtic in the Champions League. And of course, that Scotland Ireland game. OTB. 
A.M. Tom English is with us now. We're going to talk Celtic and Leipzig tonight. Uh, Tom, good morning to you. How are you getting on? I'm very well, Jerry. Yourself? I'm very well. Uh, this is um, this is one of those European campaigns that could very much go either way. And tonight is going to be one of the deciding factors from Celtic's perspective. The initial start, the Real Madrid game is like, oh, incredible. All the hype, the, the end-to-end, the loads of chances, and then a bit of cold, hard reality. And then a lot of cold, hard reality. And then tonight, it could be another magical European night where they wrestle back the narrative. So I guess the range of outcomes is pretty big. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, you know, they're, 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 you talk about the magical uh, Champions League nights at Celtic, and and I have witnessed plenty of them, but it's been a while. Um, I mean, it's a good few years, seven years, I think it is, since they last won a group game at home in the Champions League. Um, they're incredible atmospheres, unbelievable atmospheres. Plenty of your, your, your people watching and listening will, will have been there, I'm sure. If you haven't, you should go. It is unbelievable, but you know it's a big, it's a tough school, the Champions League, and it's and it's proving a little bit hard to hard to to take for Celtic. You know, the Real Madrid game was very positive. They were very positive in the game until Real Madrid woke up and scored, and then they finished. They won three nil. Um, they got a point against Shakhtar Donetsk, which is a good performance, but wasteful. They should have won that game, and then Leipzig last week again wasteful early on and they got taught a lesson 3-1 so they they really need to win tonight uh, and they haven't been doing a lot of that in the Champions League Is is this all part of the learning curve for Ange mm. and his group and, and this players the, the one caveat to that is that if um, you know if any of the players do well they suddenly become very attractive for other bigger Champions League teams to pick off and so if if everybody can if they can keep the squad together, make it slightly stronger, keep Ange, then this is one of those like, okay, that was the first time we were there. Next year is actually going to be a year where we understand how to change things up and not just be all heavy metal, all rock and roll, a little bit of defending, no harm to do a little bit of that too. Is Are we are we building on something here or is this actually, you know, do they need to take this as a single year campaign, almost like an NFL season? This team might never be together again. No, no I, think, I think they are building and... You know, Pastor Coglu has has spoken a lot and impressively about, you know, the the building blocks here. He he said after the Real Madrid game that Celtic kind of they stopped playing once Real Madrid scored. They kind of got a little bit spooked. They went into their shell. He said this exactly the same about uh, the Leipzig game last week, that um, they stopped being brave, stopped looking for the ball, stopped uh, being positive. That they almost kind of thought right at one one. Geez, one one wouldn't be a bad result. Instead of going try, going out to try and win the game, so they got negative in the match. And he said to them that you know I didn't sign you to be negative. I signed you because you're positive players in your DNA. You're you're positive footballers. So stop trying to be something that you're not just because you're playing in the Champions League. And that's a learning process. Um, you know these guys. A lot of these guys haven't played Champions League before. So and they're you know they're in a tough tough group. So they, they, I think it's a, it's an element of growing up, Ger. Really, you know, um, they're a good team, Celtic. Although of late, they haven't really been showing it. You know, um, even domestically at the weekend, struggles to get past St Johnston. Before that, a scratchy enough win over Motherwell, two one. Before that, lost two nil to St Mirren. So they're having to battle through these games at the moment. They've got a few injuries now. The captain is out, Callum McGregor. 
captain, most influential player, best player. He's gone. He's the guy who sets the tempo for them. So they um, they don't have their troubles to seek, and they've got 13 games in 44 days, which is another point Postacoglu has made. There's a lot of fatigue going around. Well, on that, Tom, I mean, that's it is a bit of an issue because you look at the turnaround as well. I think they got back last week from uh, from Leipzig at maybe 3 a.m. on the, on the Thursday morning, yeah, uh, Postacoglu right. said, and then they have the lunchtime game on Saturday against the Johnston. So, uh, and I, I think the question was probably in relation to Jota's injury and, and, and the pileup of injuries. So, Fair enough excuse from Postacoglu? Um, yeah, I don't think it's an excuse. I don't think he would use it as an excuse. I don't think he'd use that word. He'd say an explanation. Maybe we're splitting hairs, but he would say it as that. Um, he's, he's called it an impossible workload. That was his direct quote. Um, and he says it's not just a Celtic. He says a lot of the teams in the Champions League have the same, same scenario. Um, like they should be... They're creating a lot of chances in these games. Say just the domestic stuff for a start. They're creating a lot of chances, but they're not converting. They're used to converting a very high percentage of their chances. I mean, they put nine on Dundee United earlier on in the season when they were absolutely ruthless. We haven't seen that kind of clinical side for little since then, really. Um, so I don't think you could put fatigue down to the missing chances. And they missed chances last week as well against Leipzig. Um, I think there's just a lack of accuracy. Maybe in the Champions League, they get a little bit spooked. You know, they know what's on the line. Um, it's a number. It's a number of things, but certainly the growing fatigue in the squad is an issue in Europe. It shouldn't be an issue in in domestic football because they still have a big enough squad, and you know the guys coming off the bench are all better players really than most of the guys they're coming up against. Like we, we spoke to Mark Wilson on the show about this last week and look, I don't expect Ange Postacoglu to, to change uh, tact uh, on what we know and come mm. to love with this attacking football, especially in a home European game. But I mean, Paul Lambert and Gordon Strachan were on TV after the, the, the game against Leipzig last week kind of saying, or questioning or querying, is, is this style of play uh, the right one for European football? Like, I'm not saying Postacoglu is going to change because I don't expect him to change, but is there an argument for it, Tom? Uh, there's an argument for everything, it's, it, but it's not one I'd believe in. Um, I, I think uh, I think Postacoglu is, is this is the way he wants to play, and this is he's absolutely convinced that over time that this is going to be a success domestically, whatever success looks like for Celtic, maybe getting through to the next phase, um, but that is going to work once players uh, become more and more used to it. They're used to it domestically. They need to get used to it against better opposition in European competition. I think I think if you said to Postecoglou, right, you need to be a bit cannier here, um, you need to be a bit more defensive. He wouldn't have that. He wouldn't have it. He says, "What's the point of you trying to turn me into something that I'm not?" You know, the reason they won the league is because this is this is the style of play that they de- deployed. So there's, I don't think there's much point in him kind of betraying his own principles just to kind of try and grind out an occasional draw. Um, and to survive in games. He's not about that. I think it's one of his more admirable qualities. Some might call it naivety. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't see it that way. I think he's aspiring to be something, to be better than a team that just kind of exists in the Champions League and goes out tamely. He wants to be a team that actually can maybe play their way, in, play their way into the next phase. And there are growing pains with that, for sure. 
Paul Lambert's Aston Villa were worse than Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa, by the way. So uh, <laughs> he, can, he can pipe down. Uh, I, I totally agree with you, though, because like, it's, it's the type of thing that forges this bond with the fans. And then surely the players really love playing in it as well. And if yeah. you get, you know, it's going to help with recruitment. People are going to be excited by the fact that I am going to be trusted to take risks. And if, I, if, if a mistake happens, I'm not going to be thrown under the bus. So, like... I guess the, the the key question is, and it keeps coming up anytime there's a vacancy in the Premier League, is what's the clock on this project from the manager's perspective? Uh, like, do, how long haul do you think you might he might be here for? Um, I, I don't know, Joe. I mean, I don't know. Um, he's been linked with a load of jobs. Uh, every time there's a job that comes up in England, he, he, he looks like he's being linked with it. Uh, I think, and he hasn't given a whole lot away. So I'm trying to kind of second guess here. I think he feels he has an awful lot left to do at Celtic. Um, and I think that he is extremely grateful to Celtic for giving him this opportunity, for taking a gamble on him when nobody else was taking a gamble on him. I think he's a man of kind of principle. I think he's loyal. I hope I don't, that doesn't come back to bite me now. But I, but I genuinely do believe that he loves where he is and he sees it as a project. I know it's a horrible word, but he does kind of see it that way. And he's in no rush to leave at all. I always felt, always felt when Brendan Rodgers was there that the first big job in England he was offered, he would be gone. Despite him eulogizing the club on an hourly basis, despite him saying it's the greatest job in the world, despite him saying that, you know, he would have crawled across broken glass to to get to Glasgow to do this job. There was always something a little bit fake about it. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> with Pastor Coglu, I think, I think he's just a solid guy, and I think he does feel as if he has a lot left, lot left to achieve. Well, can I ask you who is the David Dean in this? Because I'm thinking it, it sounds very Wenger-esque, you know, takes the risk, comes from the other side of the world, and it plays his football, which thrills everybody, and also buys lots of players that nobody else kind of knew by having a bit of a market advantage. So you can see that the parallels. But who's the David Dean character in this? Because we've spoken down over the years about some fairly significant missteps at, at um, senior management level within the the Celtic hierarchy. Somebody surely is feeling good about themselves at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um and it's 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 probably a mixture. Um Peter Lawell, the former chief exec, would have been very much involved in this. Right. Um he's still he's not in that position anymore. Michael Nicholson is now filling that position, filling that position. So between Lawell and Michael Nicholson, they would have come up with that name. I mean, obviously they went after Eddie Howe and pursued him for months. He was very much he was candidate number one, two, and three, Howe. And they waited and waited and waited for him. And then eventually Eddie Howe gave him the old custard pie. And they had to go to option number two, which was Postacoglu. Uh, and I think Dermot Desmond is... It, it, listen, nothing happens at Celtic without Dermot Desmond's fingerprints being all over it because he's such a powerful, influential man there. So I think if... Um, if Dermot Desmond didn't say yes to Postacogli, it wouldn't have happened. So I think it's a collective, really. I know that they had a conversation on the phone and Desmond is on record. He's never on record too often, but he is on record as saying that 
as soon as he started talking to Pastor Coglu, that he thought this is the right guy. Right. I think it's I think it's a number of people involved. Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough because they definitely seem like they've got somebody who's there for the long haul, and there's, as you said, they're they're building something. Um, I do want to ask about the fact that uh, this massive game is on in the Champions League tonight. Um, and at the same time in Hamden Park, Scotland are playing Ireland. Uh, mm. After a record crowd of eleven thousand last week. Um, presumably a lot of people who might have been interested in going to see the women's team try and qualify for the World Cup against Ireland might be going to Celtic instead? Uh, yeah, well, listen, I think if, you want, if you're going to go to Celtic, you're going to go to Celtic. It doesn't matter um, what's happening down the road. Um, if you're a Celtic fan, you're going to go there. Um, but um, whether some people might stay indoors and watch Celtic in the Champions League rather than go to the women's game, I don't know. They're expecting another record crowd today. They're expecting to top the crowd from last last week. So I think there'll be a very, very good crowd there. There's a major buzz, as there as there is in Ireland. Like there's there's a major buzz over here about about this game, and it's certainly in the media. It's it's going fifty fifty. It's going toe to toe with the Celtic game and the Rangers game tomorrow night against Liverpool in terms of coverage. All right, that's interesting because we we weren't sure exactly if if it had kind of crossed over because here it's the lead story in loads of the back pages, and it's certainly yeah. and it has been really, since they were in camp last week. And, um, you know, everybody's talking about the fact that this is the potential breakout moment. It's also, I guess, a potential breakout moment for Scotland, who seem to have got their house in order over the last couple of years as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, they qualified for the last World Cup, uh, two narrow defeats and a draw. Uh, They blew it, really, against Argentina. They were 3-0 up with about 20 minutes to go, and they drew 3-all, and they went out of the tournament. But the experience stood to them... um, they had a pretty a nightmarish end game and all of that. Shelley Kerr, the then manager, kind of balled their, her players out of it. Um, after that 3-3, the atmosphere was toxic in the camp for the next qualifying campaign. Uh, players were deeply unhappy there. But since Shelley Kerr left um, and Pedro Martinez Losa came in, they seemed to be much happier. The results are good. They beat Austria, 20th in the world. They beat them last week. A draining game on a heavy pitch and lousy weather in Glasgow. Extra time that might stand to Ireland. It'll be a lot fresher tonight. Um, but I summoned, I mean, I spoke to one of the Scotland players the other night. I said, look, adrenaline will get us through this. Yeah, we had to play 120 minutes the other night in lousy weather. But, and Ireland are fresh. But, you know, when the prize is so big, they kind of the kind of energy will always be there. I suppose I'm only half looking for a John O'Mahony Fancy Dan's um, thing here, Tom, when asking you this, but <laughs> we were talking earlier about the fact that Scotland are the, the bookies' favourites, um, and quite heavy favourites. You're talking Ireland at 7-2 to two in some places for, for tonight's wow. game. Are they really? 7-2? Yeah. Wow. Like, is that, is wow. that confidence coming across? Is there anything you can tell us from the, the Scottish media of the coverage that Vera Powell can stick on the dressing room wall? Oh, no, I, no, I don't think so. I'm afraid there's nothing, nothing that I have seen there's no, there's no arrogance. There's no overconfidence. Um, I think, I think I spoke to one former Scotland player, a seventy capper, uh, at the weekend, and she said, um, if she was to have her last pound on it, she'd probably go Scotland, but it would be very, very tight. A huge respect for the Ireland team, uh, unbeaten in the last six. They they got a draw against Sweden, one of the top teams, obviously. Um, in the world. Um, so on that form line, you think, well, okay, 
Ireland are in serious danger here. Austria, uh, Scotland beat Austria. Last week, Austria are higher in the rankings than Ireland, if the rankings mean anything. So the form, form guide is kind of all over the place. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Seven to two. That is mm. incredible. That is, that is, and I think everyone in Scotland would go, wow, it's this, there's no way this is a seven to two match. There's no way Ireland are seven to two. I think, I mean, I think it's, I think I was a margin because of home advantage, marginally Scotland, but, but only marginally. Yeah. That, it kind of feels that way. And it feels like a lot of, especially when you reach the level of prize that is on offer for a team to win this game. Like, it's going to be very unlikely that uh, one team is going to hammer the other. Tom, yeah. enjoy the game. Great stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Take care. That's uh, Tom English giving us the a view from Scotland this morning about uh, two big, big games happening simultaneously. We're obviously going to talk about both of them on the show tomorrow as well. A reminder, though, OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Um, you missed the point with Celtic. It's not playing defensive to be smarter in Europe and not press the ball every time. If it's not on to press, it's not on. Play smart, says Graham Shaw. Give it up, Shane. Beckham was never world class. McManaman won, won more at Real Madrid and was obviously more important. You did say no more Beckham comments, but uh, of course you'll, you'll find one to, to fit your own narrative to, to squeeze in before the end of the show. Well done. Uh, you don't want to treble and be a pivotal member of that team and not be world class. Beckham was world class from 98 to 02, says Terence Buckley. Absolutely. Uh, Beckham was a bit like the Top Gun movie, says Shifty Lad. Brings in the money. Aesthetically great to look at, but wouldn't be able to win an Oscar. Mm. Might win Oscars in not 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 in acting or maybe storyline, but visually it was pretty stunning. I thought. Oh, I haven't seen it, but Beckham. It's, he's oh, right. Sorry. He's right about Beckham. The analogy works. Mm. Great to look at. Mildly effective. You know, good and enjoyable. Oh, one of the great like, movies. A world class movie. No one's no one's talking about it when you're talking about like all time greats. You're just not. I'm I'm not listening to the comments because I, I actually made the mistake of reading a couple of comments that were negative towards Castaway, saying it wasn't a, a top movie. So I, those people can just, I, I mean, they're dead I'm, not, to you. I'm not listening to that. All right, we're back tomorrow with all the reaction to Hamden Park from tonight uh, alongside Sue Ronan. We'll also have Keith Wood's best international 15 that he's played against and um, talking about Celtic too, of course. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.